God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Big Brad. What's up? I'm grateful to have you on, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I love what you're doing here. This is great. Yeah, Excited to be a part of it. Yeah, I know. I, uh, <clears throat> and we've known each other or known of each other for a long time. We grew up in the same area, and uh, you're obviously a few years older than me, but like I've seen you. And, you know, I've seen the guys that uh, you were friends with, and, like, you know, those guys were, like, the first... Uh, like warning signs to me, like your, your friend group, like, you know, that age that was like above me was starting to struggle with Oxycontin and like that whole epidemic. And we'll get into that. But that was like, I remember seeing you guys and being like, man, like what, what is going on there? You know? And, uh, so let's just, let's just roll it all the way back. Did you grow up in, uh, in Rockland? Like, where's your family from? So yeah, Long story, but yeah, I I grew up in Europe for till I was like five or six. Then was your dad in the military? Or no, something? so uh, my mom's English. Okay. My mom's actually an English like an, citizen, and okay. my dad was working uh, <clears throat> as a civilian over there on the base, but he wasn't in the military at that time. Yeah, um, but so lived in Germany. They got divorced, moved out to Carmichael, finally settled in Rockland, mm-hmm. um, where I moved back. I think that was like in '92. So for the most part, yeah, I grew up as a as a young young kid, mm-hmm. uh, elementary school, junior high, high school through Rockland. Although I left for a couple of years and moved back. And to do Belgium. you remember Germany and or any of that? Yeah, well, in sixth and seventh grade, I wait fifth and sixth grade, I lived in Belgium. So okay. I moved back to live with my dad. Oh, so I remember a lot of that. Yeah. And what was that like? What was your dad like? Um, you know. I wish I had more of him in my life. I think that's yeah. one of the things that uh, I struggled with that I didn't realize I struggled with. Right. Um, I begged my mom to let me go back and live with him because I wanted, I know I, something in me wanted that and needed that. Yeah. So I lived with him for a couple of years. And then once he moved back to the United States for the first time in like, I think 25 years, I decided, well, if I'm coming back to the U.S., I'll just go back to California with my mom. Um yeah, I don't know why. I, there's probably, and part of me wonders if that was a, one of the worst decisions I made. I mean, of course, I'm like 12 or 13 at the time, but, yeah, you know. What made you make that decision, or what was the turning point to want to leave there to come back? Well, he had to move back anyway because his new oh, okay. wife got um, reassigned to um, Virginia, right mm. outside of D.C. And I don't really remember now why I wanted to come back to California. I, I think it was just because... I wasn't sold on living with him if I wasn't living overseas. But part of me thinks that's probably my mom talked me into it. Mm-hmm. I think I had a lot of influence from her. Does your did, did your dad struggle with drugs or anything? No, I mean he's been he drinks every day, so I would yeah, say he's alcoholic. he's an alcoholic for sure. But he's never been a. Uh, he's always had a great job and worked yeah. out at the gym and competed in bodybuilding. And, oh, nice. you know, he's even now at 75, he's pretty jacked, Oh wow! but he drinks every day. And so was that kind of your <clears> first <throat> exposure to like bodybuilding and all that? Did you see your dad? Oh yeah. But he's always been swole. Yeah. yeah. And then my mom was a PE teacher. Okay. So she was always athletic as well. And I, re- I remember as a kid, um, back when Ricky Lake, 
Yeah. Jenny Jones was yeah, on yeah. TV, you know. My mom would be watching that trash TV and jump roping or lifting weights and mm-hmm. while I'm doing my homework. So I always grew up in an environment where fitness was a priority. Of course, it wasn't for me then, but it did plant a seed mm-hmm. in me young that, that this is something that should be part of my day. Mm-hmm. And did you play sports growing up? or? Yeah, played sports, uh, every sport like most kids. I played soccer and baseball and um flag football in junior high but then you know it's a shame so here here's the thing in in high school i got in so much trouble mm-hmm. not a lot of trouble but i got in enough trouble that they told me that my punishment was i couldn't play sports yeah right what it's kind of the opposite i what they should have done is put me into sports or pushed mm-hmm. me more into that direction because yeah. instead i found an identity with the kids who aren't doing sports yeah and that's usually not a great group unless they're playing instruments right band yeah, yeah i know <laughs> it's a fine line but in that discipline of like what do you do with those kids you know it was enough for me because i didn't get to play my junior year because i was failing classes and 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 my parents too didn't let me play one year when i was younger and like it was enough for me to like okay i need to like refocus here you know but it's so easy to like like well f you guys then and like just turn the other way you know and uh and and lose that direction um so one of the things that i really appreciate about my mom was uh because like i said she was always about working out we always grew up eating like very we never had soda in the house we never had chips or junk food in the house we ate chicken and rice and broccoli and tuna helper for dinner yeah i mean that was how we what we ate and so when i couldn't play sports in school and my mom saw i was getting smoking weed and started to hang out with the kids who weren't playing sports so she was really diligent about trying to get me involved in something Mm -hmm. so i did i found a a, she signed me up for a guitar lesson and i reluctantly went reluctantly went and then decided after that first lesson oh my god i love this oh and i became obsessed with playing guitar Um, and then i also got into jiu-jitsu and Thai boxing and did some mixed martial arts stuff for quite a few years there too have you noticed looking back like do you feel like you've always had that obsessive personality like an addictive personality a hundred percent yeah totally when I look back at it now I even think about guitar when I would play guitar I would lock my door and sit in my room and turn the metronome on and just play the guitar play the guitar play the guitar yeah hours and hours and hours and practice and practice and practice and i would just obsess over it mm-hmm. and then when drugs became more of a priority then i would obsess over that mm-hmm. you know and immerse myself in that lifestyle with everything i had and go full on yeah this is what i'm doing you know yeah. and then those other hobbies that i had like mixed martial arts and uh, music yeah they become less dopamine stimulating yeah then the drugs so the drugs become you know getting high becomes more of a priority and then that stuff seems to fall so far back that almost it comes to the point where it's like a different life ago yeah but if i close my eyes and i think about it i can remember like how much i loved that and how happy i was Mm -hmm. when i was doing those but along what you said yeah i mean everything i've done has been obsessive yeah it's interesting like you look at all like the great minds and people that are like at top level in sports, you know, like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, these types of people, like they're all obsessive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they're solely focused on being the best at what they're doing. They have addictive personalities. And like, that's what it takes to be 
great at something. But also, if that energy is misdirected or you find drugs, uh, you can easily just go sideways with it. 100%. And you know what I think I love about the recovery community is I just see so much potential. Yeah. Because these people who, us, yeah. well, we've proven that we will do anything it takes to achieve our goal. Right. And if we could use that same energy with something else, just imagine what can be. I think the biggest thing is getting people to believe in themselves and yeah. believe that they can actually do it. Because when you're stuck and you have no car, you got no money, yeah. you got nothing, you're freezing cold with a wife beater in, in negative temperature, you're still finding a way You'll to get way. loaded, right? Yeah. So if you got that type of hustle and that type of a determination, imagine what you can do if yeah. you could just get the belief in yourself. And I think that's a lot of us who fall, at least for me, fall into this addiction and overcompensate with wanting to be um, known and mm -hmm. popular or feared or respected. Yeah. And it's because we don't feel that way about ourselves. Mm. And I think deep inside, we're actually scared. We're actually insecure. Yeah. And we overcompensate for that um, by trying to you know, do everything we can to appear that way to everyone else. But really inside, we're scared. Mm -hmm. we're, we, we, we harbor this fear, this self-hatred. And yeah. this, uh, so when we get clean, that's some of the work that, you know, just getting rid of the drugs doesn't focus, deal with that stuff. And I think it's yeah. so important to uh, have people who believe in you and tell you like, look, you can do this. If you could do that, yeah. you can do this. If you could save, hustle cans all night yeah. to, to buy your drugs or scam and scheme to do whatever you need to do, manipulate. I mean, you can build your own business brick by brick, day by day. You just yeah. have to have that belief, you know? So I, I, I agree. try not to go on too much of a tangent there, but I think that you're right on. I think a lot of us addicts have that addictive um, trait, that obsessive compulsive trait. Mm -hmm. And if some of some athletes, they were able to funnel that into something positive, we yeah. went a different route, but that doesn't mean we can't go back. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, yeah, no, I think that's an important thing that I, I tell newcomers too, is like, if you can approach recovery with that same type of mentality and like chase your recovery with even an ounce of that, you know, effort that you chase the bag, like you're going to have a good chance yeah. because we pour so much energy into that. And like, you know, towards the end, that was all my life revolved around, you know, it was like getting and using more like the scheming and scamming and mm -hmm. whatever. And so if you can put that same energy into recovery, you got a good chance there. And uh, I think you're right. Like we, we lose, we lose ourselves and like we lose our identity out there and like, you know, we're scared and trying to hold up these images. And I know that I would, I would try to portray like different faces and like wear different masks totally. in different environments. You know, I could, I could blend into different places, you know, in Rockland, there's people that have money, you know, so I like learned how to hang out with people that had money there. And then I could, you know, just go down to North Highlands and like freaking hang out with the gangbangers down there and like, you know, and be believable in both environments because I didn't know who I was. Exactly. Like I, I can act because I don't know who I am, yep. you know? And when we take the drugs away that, you know, are helping us to mask all these feelings and insecurities, then you're left with your raw self. And then it was like, well, who am I? Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it's been a process of like really learning who I am, 
you know, and like. But think of what think about what a skill that is that you can yeah. chameleon yourself yeah. into these different environments. I mean, because I felt the same way. It didn't matter where I was. Yeah, I felt comfortable that I could fit in wherever I was, mm-hmm. uh, at least surface area. Right. Like I'd always have that imposter syndrome inside. Yeah. yeah, but I knew that I could play everyone where I was. And what a great tool to have because yeah. if you are able to blend in all these different environments, imagine if you just wipe that slate clean, use mm-hmm. those skills, and immerse yourself into a environment where people are successful where they have yeah. goals and drive and then you feel comfortable you know chameleoning into that and then it's mm-hmm. like you fake it till you make it eventually you yeah. hang around successful people then you start to become successful and yeah. you you're, you're able to do that because you've had the experience with jumping through these different uh friend groups or circles mm-hmm. and going from like yeah going from rockland and and you know i know my manners my mind my manners and then you know then we could be down at the branch or in prison and you know running running a, a whole different type of attitude yeah so then yeah but then it does get confusing you lose sight of who you are so yeah i think uh i think you're right and like that's kind of what i did when i got sober was like okay who do i want to be mm-hmm. you know like where do my morals and values actually stem from and align with and then i looked you know to the internet like YouTube and like found some mentors on there that I could like follow and listen to and then try to do what they're doing, you know, like try to read the, and they're all doing similar stuff. You know, they all have habits and patterns of behavior and morals and principles that they stand on. And they're like dedicated to their craft and, and, you know, have a daily structure and right. You know, eating habits, exercise, relationships, discipline, you know, all these things, they're all doing the same things and it's because they work. So I saw these things and then, you know, you go to these recovery meetings and you see the guys that have their stuff together and like, okay, I want to, you know, I want what that guy has. And you, we mimic those traits, you know, mm-hmm. and like practice those behaviors in our own life until you start to get some of that. And yeah. that's, you know, just kind of what you got to do in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I'm still trying to find who I yeah. am, right? I'm no, still on that. Process. I'm still on that yeah. journey, right? And just Me when too. I think I just when I think I got it, I, I wonder, you know. And I think in the beginning, it's so important to get connected with people in recovery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all the time. It's important, but in the beginning, yeah. you know, hitting those meetings regularly, um, finding your place in that community is great. But I'm going to say something that might be, you know, a little controversial. Um, I don't know how other. This is how I feel, and this is my pro, my struggle is some people dive so addictively into the recovery life mm-hmm. and then that becomes their whole identity and their yeah. whole obsession and there's no other goals outside of that. So I yeah. I think that it's really, really important to have a, a grounded foundation in recovery, working the steps, yeah. having a sponsor and having good people in your circle and attending meetings. But yeah. eventually attending meetings every single day with no other aspirations in life it, that's not for me, right? I, yeah. I I need to have some other goals, and I think that's why it's great. Like what you just said is finding some other people who have other goals outside of this. Like being clean is clean and sober is foundation. If I stay, yeah. if I keep that, everything else I can build. Yeah. But I still need other bricks to build those other things. So I can't I just rely on my foundation to be there, and then all of a sudden the house builds. Like I need to have that foundation, but yeah. at the same time, I need to be putting those bricks, brick by brick, to build the yeah. the house that I want. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I'm the same way as far as like, you know, wanting other things. And that's like, that was part of what kept me sick too, was like, I wasn't living up to my own expectations. 
you know, and I wasn't living up to my own expectations because I was using. Yeah. So it became like this vicious cycle, you know, and I always knew I was worth more than what I was putting out there, you know, and that gave me shame, yeah. you know, and like guilt inside. And so, you know, for me in sobriety, I definitely like had goals and ambitions, but I think for people in early recovery and for me too, it was just like my first year of sobriety I just had to be tunnel vision. Like, this is all I'm doing. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, recovery in God. I don't want to hear anything about drugs. I don't want to hear anything about violence, you know, sex, any of that. Like, I have to swing the pendulum back all the way over. You know what I mean? Because I was lost in darkness. So I needed to, like, be all in this way, and then I can find some balance. You know what I mean? Totally, totally. I mean, I don't know about you, but I even stopped. I even changed the music I was listening to. The music I used to listen to. Uh, I would listen to, and then I would start like, you know, fantasizing or rationalizing, oh, yeah, or, or like singing along, and then 100%. and then I, then I puts then you I'm, right in that mood. Yeah, then I'm then I'm back in that mood. So I had to change the music I was listening mm-hmm. to, and now I can go back to it every once in a while, and, yeah, and be uh, now that I have a good foundation. But I, I do yeah. think that in the beginning, everything has to change, yeah. and having a focus on just. I think so. One of the big mistakes I made, and I think other people make this mistake too, is when you get clean, you just want to get everything. It's like, yeah. I want to get my job. I need to get a job. And you start working. It's like, okay, having a job is definitely a goal that needs to be obtained, but don't let that job become your idol, uh, your, your idol or your God or your higher power because mm-hmm. the job is not going to keep you clean. Or your girl. Or your girl, right? And I've made that mistake so many times. The girl, yeah. the job, and it never works out. So you, finding work is necessary but if you can yeah. if you can pump the brakes just take the take the advice from those around you you know yeah. but it, in the end I, I do think that i see people at meetings that are so their whole life is meetings yeah and then i don't see them really growing outside of that so yeah. I, I feel like we the, the trick is to find a balance where i agree balance is everything and uh i think what you said about like having recovery as your foundation is critical. Like if you, you have to stay connected, you know, you have to stay grounded in recovery and put recovery first in your life. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have recovery as the foundation, like things get weird out there, you know, and we resort to our old thinking and behaviors. And if like recovery is not at the forefront of your life and like you, you don't have relationships with people in recovery totally. that, that really care about you, you know, you're, you're bound to slip up, you know? So having recovery as your foundation to build everything else off of is critical. And then having God at the forefront of that recovery, you know, and like building your recovery foundation off of your relationship with a higher power. And then from there, you know, you set yourself up for success. And even, even when things get weird, like you can always resort back to that, you Mm -hmm. know, and like build off of that. Whereas like, if I don't have recovery, I can't, do anything else mm-hmm. i can't hold on to jobs i can't like i always go back out and you hear it all the time you know guys that relapse i always ask them like what happened you know and it's always stop coming to meetings stop talking to my sponsor gave up my service position you know and then all of a sudden life what some life showed up something happened and then you're back out there yeah you yeah know? Totally. Or, or just letting yourself reconnect with old friends yeah. and just <clears throat> opening that door. And they may not, you may, one, they may, or you may not walk through that door right away. Yeah. But if you keep that door open, eventually you're going to have a day where either you walk through that door to meet them or you open that door for them to come be around you. Mm-hmm. And then 
all bets are off, you know? Yeah, and it's like a that's like a subconscious, like self-destructive habit, you know, that I I have had to become aware of and like pay attention to like things that you know my subconscious is doing. Like for me, carrying a gun for a long time Mm -hmm. was like, well, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, just because it's a habit. And then it was like now I felt I came to the point where I was like, I think subconsciously I wanted to get caught. Yeah. It's like I have this subconscious, like self-destructive habits that are still back there that I've built up this lifestyle that I love and like am happy with. But I've done that before and I I crash it all down Mm -hmm. because I have self-destructive patterns of behavior. Do you think uh, so? My question with that, like in what you just said, that's a good point. Do you think that's self-destructive or do you think that? Somewhere in your mind, you're carrying that gun or doing things, hoping you'll get caught because that'll save you from your addiction. Because what I mean is, I think a lot of times I get I'd get sloppy out there with mm-hmm. things, and, and I think subconsciously I just wanted to get caught because I wanted yeah. the police to save me from myself. Yeah. And the only time I ever felt healthy and felt clean or and was clean and felt good was when I was locked up. Yeah. And uh, I, I think sometimes I would just kind of almost subconsciously want to get caught yeah. so that I could be forced to be clean because I didn't know how to do it on my own. I don't know. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I, I have. But I'm talking about in sobriety. Oh, wow. Like okay. I, I built up a life like of happiness and joy. And like, mm-hmm. but I still would like hang on to these self-destructive habits that I'm not even paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like even fantasize about, you know, like hunting down pedophiles and like you know, totally, yeah, but yeah. I think part of that is because I, I don't know. I, it's I the easy way out. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, that's an easy way out for me. Like, I can go murder pedophiles and go to prison, and then you know, like being locked up is a whole lifestyle in itself. And once you're comfortable there, you're yeah. comfortable there. You know, whereas like this lifestyle is not easy. Like living a sober lifestyle that is like you know we have lots of pressures and like things going on but it's so much more rewarding you know what i mean well maybe maybe i don't uh maybe i'm wrong but i i would like to think that i often fantasize about killing pedophiles <laughs> <laughs> and i thought that was normal but maybe that's not normal i don't know maybe normal people don't uh, sit around and think about that but yeah uh, that didn't sound too weird to me when you said that <laughs> well guys like us maybe yeah, not yeah, but yeah. I but always it, look around like, are you one of them? I know. Are you right? one of them? Let me check your background. Yeah, yeah, bro. exactly. Your that car looks bro. suspicious. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's go back to where we were talking about your childhood. Was there any, like, looking back, were there any, like, red flag warnings in your family that, or any, like, trauma in your childhood that set you up, you think? You no, know, not a, the traditional, um, not, no, no traditional trauma, like molestation or, um, or severe beatings or anything like that. Like my mom didn't know how to discipline us very well. So she put her hands on us quite a bit, but it wasn't like I wasn't going to school with black eyes and broken bones, you know? Um, I I think that the, I I got, something was wrong because I got kicked out of school, suspended from school every year from kindergarten. I mean, even before that in daycare, I was always hitting someone or talking crap and, Mm -hmm. you know, using bad language and um, getting in trouble forever. And why that is, I don't know. I, I, now I look back and I just think that, uh, cause my mom and dad, when they lived together was very hostile before they separated. Mm-hmm. And I think I just, uh, I grew up with, as a young kid, with so much yelling and screaming and like hatred that I was just yeah. had anxiety all the time. Mm. And, um, 
I, I brought that. I bra- yeah, I just bring bring that bring, brought that anxiety with me. And then when my parents split, um, you know, I, I didn't recognize these feelings as a young as a kid because I, I couldn't really identify these feelings. I I wouldn't be able to tell you like what why I was feeling the way I was. I would get asked that all the time. I don't know. It's only now that I'm older that I can look back, and now that I have kids, I can see the things that affected me that I didn't think affected me, yeah. like not having a father around. Yeah. Um, seeking attention from other people because I, I didn't feel validated. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make myself feel validated. Um, mm-hmm. You know, did you, did you have any step fathers or like male role models in your life or was it just you and your mom? No. So the only male Do you have siblings, I have a brother, okay. I have a brother. He's two years younger, younger. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, and I never really got along too much. We were so close in age, but, um, we always had that sibling rivalry as as we were younger. Mm-hmm. And then I went off in a different path than him, so we kind of split up. Now we get along great. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've got a brother who's two years younger, but that's it. And my mom never had another man come into the house until I was a teenager, and mm-hmm. that was the worst time for that because yeah, yeah. I just started smoking weed and hanging out, and she's with this guy, and he just yeah. he wasn't bad. He was nice. He took care of us. He still She's still with him. He's a great, great husband. I have no complaints, but I could probably count since I was 13 to now, he's probably spoken maybe 1,500 words to me total. Oh, wow. So we've never had a deep conversation. We've never had like any type of relatability or um, any type of one-on-one hangout time, nothing like that. So I never had uh, felt like any connection with him, any role model. All I felt as a kid, as a teenager is, Who's this guy in the house? Now I have more rules than I had before, and I have less time with my mom. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he was. I, I, as an adult, I have no complaints about him. He had he. I understand where he's coming from, walking <clears throat> into a situation with someone else's kids, and probably didn't really know how to handle it. Yeah. That may have just been him doing the best he could. Um, but yeah, I never had any connection with any type of male figure other than the guys in the streets that were. Yeah, you know. So when did when did you start running around in the streets? Pretty much at thirteen. Thirteen, yeah. Yeah, I was already selling weed, mm-hmm. um, drinking, smoking, selling weed. Got kicked out of school for selling weed when I was eighth grade. Then, it just continued to inv- advance from there. And how do you think that started? Like. Were you idolizing things you saw, or was it just friends you were hanging out with? Yeah, or? you know, I think um, I think. A mixture of all of that. I idolized certain things, but I kind of knew better than to do some of these things until you you get to the age where kids are experimenting or hanging out with different yeah. different kids that you find are cool. Then you know, I think we we were told like it's, at least in the beginning, you're told about marijuana and it's like this horrible drug. But then you smoke it and you're like, this wasn't wasn't a big deal. Like, yeah, what else are they lying to me about? And then I felt like they, you know the teachers and the adults, they kind of lost credibility. So at 13, I'm thinking, well, this wasn't that bad. They're just probably lying about everything. So then it was floodgates open on on, on everything. So mm-hmm. um, it all started with weed, but it's weird because I started smoking weed, and from the first day I smoked weed, I smoked weed every single day for 20 years, never stopped. Oh, wow. And I never thought I had a problem. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I know. It's wild. So... Where did it go from there as far as the progression with drugs? 
Did you start using hard stuff pretty quick? No, so actually, for from thirteen to seventeen, I only smoked weed. That was it. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I ate some mushrooms, and so I guess I oh, I, and I smoked some coke on some weed, but it was pretty much just weed and like maybe some hallucinogens here and there. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I think when, it was when I was seventeen that we found oxycontin, and mm-hmm. so weird. It's like what the hell is this, you know? Yeah. And we had no idea what that little pill was going to ravage on our community. Yes, let's talk about that for a little bit because we both come from that environment and that time frame. And, like, we obviously lost a bunch of people through that whole wave and, like, you know, the the damage that it caused in our small town and worldwide, you know, or at least nationwide was incredible. Like, what, what was the progression of it that you saw firsthand? Um, the progression was basically, you know, here's this little pill. We're going to feel good, get, get loaded. A lot of us were kind of already on probation. So uh, they were tripping on us, smoking weed. So it was like another thing we could kind of do that would get out of our system quick. Mm -hmm. Um, and Coke started to become popular back then. So we were doing some Coke and then wanting to come down from the Coke and oxys were great for the come down. In fact, that's how a lot of us started. A lot of the people in my group started using oxycontin because mm-hmm. it was a great way to come down off the coke. But then after a couple of weeks of that, it's like, oh, you get tired of the coke, but all of a sudden you can't stop the oxys. We had no idea when I first started doing oxy. I had no idea what withdrawal was mm-hmm. that there was a withdrawal and what that would feel like. Mm-hmm. I think me and my friend group all experienced that kind of together, yeah. and then then it was reality. Like, holy crap, this is not. And just this seems, is some serious stuff, yeah. you know. Gets a hold of you, you know. So what did that feel like for you, like, w- when you first realized you were addicted? Well, when I first realized addicted, I realized I, when I went through the first withdrawal, I went, whoa, this is like, yeah. I was not expecting that. That that hit me hard. I went to the emergency room. I tried to do everything I could. So actually very quickly after detox kicking a couple times, um, you know, then I'm always the type of guy who finds the connect and gets the good price. So then I'm mm-hmm. buying them for cheap and selling them and making money off selling oxys. But it only takes detoxing a few times before I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to get clean off this. Yeah. And so uh, it didn't take me but like a year before I went to my first rehab attempt. And what age were you then? I was um, 19. I might have actually been 18 still. Mm-hmm. It was 2005. So actually, yeah, I think I was 19 when I first went into rehab. And how'd that experience go for you? Well, I, I thought, being the naive 19-year-old, that 30 days was all I needed. Yeah, I just needed to kick the oxys. I needed to get unphysically addicted to them. And once I got clear of the detox, then I was good. I had you couldn't tell me otherwise. Yeah. And uh, after that, actually, to be honest with you, for for a long time, after I kicked oxys for that first time, it took me years and years before I ever touched an opiate again. Oh, wow. But when I got out of that rehab, that's when I first, well, that's like the s- second time I used crystal and the first time I really got high. And then I thought, okay, this is where it's at. And were you IV using oxy? No. No, okay. I, uh, back then we snorted them. Mm-hmm. Um, later, people started smoking them, I guess. We didn't know anything about that. Yeah. But we used to snort them. That was the only way that I knew to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, then eventually people started shooting them. But I, I didn't get into using needles until later in my 20s. Mm-hmm. 
So you got out of that rehab. Were you introduced to like 12 step stuff or? Of course. Yeah. I was yeah. introduced to it, but I would look at the 12 steps and, and decide, Oh, I'd sit there in the meeting and say, okay, I just worked the first three, just staring at it, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm there. Uh, but even though I'd say that to myself, I really didn't believe in a higher power yet. Mm-hmm. I really was still justifying why I wasn't powerless yet. Mm-hmm. And that, well, yeah, my life was unmanageable, but I could start to manage it mm-hmm. if I get out of here and get a job and get the right girl and, yeah. you know, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I had a taste of that. But I, I was, you know, at night 18, 19, no one can tell you what to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I look back at you. You couldn't tell me anything I'd be in the rehabs and I'd look at the guys who just did 10 years in prison and I'd be more excited about doing that than getting clean. You know, I want, I want, I want that experience. Not this guy talking about, Oh, my life's great. And I'm clean. I'm like being clean. That sounds boring. Going to prison for 10 years. (laughs) That sounds more fun. Yeah. And that's how how sick I was. And I couldn't learn from anybody else either. You know, it was like, I saw you guys struggling with it and it was just like, it won't happen to me. Mm -hmm. Like for whatever reason, it's just like, I just have never been able to learn from other people's mistakes, yep. you know? And so I had, I had to feel those for myself. What, uh, what was your experience like with God as a kid? Was it, did you grow up in a Christian household? This or? is a great question. I love this question. I'm glad you asked this question. So no, my family, whole family, no belief in God, no mention of God. Uh, I had neighbors, kids that went to church, and I'd go with them because, you know, there would be donuts afterwards or because I wanted to hang out with them afterwards, and I would just go, Mm -hmm. but never really believed in God, never thought it made any sense as a kid. And then as I got older, I actually started to hate the whole concept of God and Jesus and... Um, Why do you think that was? You know, because I just thought it was so... I thought people... I would look at people who would believe this stuff, and I would think, man, you seem like such a smart person. Like, how can you be so naive, dumb to believe this stuff, right? (laughs) And I would argue with them, and I was chronically arguing with people who believed in God and and giving them the points why I thought it was wrong, why I didn't believe in it, why it was trash. Um, Every time I would try to go to rehab or attempt to get clean, I didn't want anything to do with this God thing because I just thought it was hocus pocus. Uh, I couldn't. What was your reasoning? Like, what were your reasons? Because, um, you know. uh, so the reasons I didn't then is I now I look back and I think what I was doing was I was letting these little stories throughout the Bible. Um, I was trying to take everything too literally mm-hmm. and find reasons why it didn't make sense. Yeah. And again, I mean, t- to be honest, to, be- to believe in in a God who created all of this was. Uh, it's challenging to wrap my mind around, you yeah. know, it, it is still is challenging to wrap your mind around, but yeah. it's to now I look at it as it's the, it's the simplest explanation for all of this, but why yeah. I didn't see that before is a, is a long story. Um, I don't know why I had so much disdain for it. I just, I think to sum it up, the reason I hated Christianity and I hated um, the concept of God was because people made it look bad. Yeah. It was Christians that make Christianity look bad. Mm-hmm. It was it's religious people that make religion look bad. And I was looking at people to force or reinforce my belief in God, but you can't do that because people are flawed mm-hmm. and people are terrible and people will use religion or anything to control people and into power, but yeah. that doesn't mean that it's not true. Yeah. Just because someone the crusades and you have all these these religious wars and people killing over God, 
those are people killing over God. When you look yeah. at the actual scriptures and you start to read what Jesus says, he doesn't say, kill in my name. No. He doesn't say, attack the heretics with death. He, he says, come come with compassion. Turn you know, love, love thy neighbor, right? Yeah. Um, just So I, people ruined my my concept of that. And I had to step back and believing in God and Jesus Christ has been a process. Jesus Christ is who I look for for um, as, as my savior. Mm-hmm. But it came from a small seed of maybe there's something out there that created this big bang that it just yeah. didn't happen from nothing. Mm-hmm. And then praying to the universe. And yeah. then as soon as I started praying to the universe and I started to get revealed more and more and more. And then finally I realized that you know, there was a journey of, of a higher power to finally landing on Jesus and saying, this is, of course, the truth. Yeah. No, I share a similar experience. I uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian household either. And uh, my dad was spiritual and, like, he was into, like, Native American stuff and still is. So, like, he talked about God here and there. And so I always had, like, an interest, like, what is, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know what that is, but, like, I heard it at least, you know. And, like, I had friends that were you know, Catholic and Mormon, whatever. And I kind of same thing, went with them a few times here and there. And I thought it was weird, like, especially the Catholic, mm-hmm. like all these ceremonies and stuff going on, you know, I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I had a hard time, you know, believing the stories of the Bible too. And I still do, honestly, like some of these stories, I'm like, that doesn't... I, even even the story of, of Jesus and like literally dying for our sins yeah. literally washes away all our sins. It's hard like, to digest. It's hard to digest. Yeah, totally. And you know, the more that I've, you know, studied it and and like really tried to open my heart to the truth of it, you know, eventually I just came to terms and like I really felt like God spoke to me and said, you know, you don't have to trust the Bible. Like you just have to trust me. Totally. You know? And 100%. so that's that's where I found peace in it and like found understanding and faith in Jesus and not in people because people are flawed, you know. And like the yes, it's divinely in, inspired and like but it's still written by people. And so for me that was hard to overcome mm-hmm. and it still is, mm-hmm. you know, to this day, but I have absolute faith in the teachings of Jesus and and that he is my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. And that came through just like you said, like a seeking, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know Jesus in the beginning, you know, I was just like praying to God, you know, like Lord of the universe, creator, whatever that is, and then like sought him out, you know, and like looked at different religions, you know, from Buddhism to Taoism and like Hindu, Mm -hmm. and like tried to look at all these different things. And I got a lot out of all of that. You know, there, there's all, there's a lot of similarities in all of it. Totally. You know what I mean? And, uh, but for me, the same thing, like the more I looked, the more I found Jesus. Mm-hmm. And like, I felt like all roads mm-hmm. just lead to him, you know, and, and the more that I've, you know, fallen in love with Jesus and like really like cultivated that relationship, the better my life has gone. Look, here's the thing. You can't go wrong yeah. <laughs> with Jesus. This, you just can't go wrong. when you, If you follow what he says and you, you, you take his recommendations. It's just like in in the twelve steps. You, you follow the recommendations of your sponsor. You take it. You take suggest. If you follow yeah. suggestions, the program works. Yeah. You follow what Jesus says. Everything works out for you. <laughs> you. You make the right choice. I mean, everything. Your life becomes blessed. Everything works out for you, and then you start to realize, wow, all these things that I thought were 
um, a hindrance that, oh, Christianity wants to limit me from doing this, this, and this. I don't want anything to do with something that's going to tell me I can't do this, this, and this. When you start following Jesus, you start to realize why you don't want to do this, this, and this. Mm. You realize why be sleeping around with tons of tons of girls sounds cool, but then you actually start to see why that why it's not suggested, why it is a sin, why we're missing the mark when we do that, mm. because it does cause a ripple effect of trauma in yeah. in their life, and you're now you're not pair bonding as much now. There, there there's a whole ripple effect of things that happen be, beyond that, um, and that's just one example. You know, there's so many things that I wanted to do because I wanted to do them, and I didn't think there was a big deal, but then as I start to follow follow the Jesus and and listen to pray and and read the Bible, then I start to realize, wow, there. It makes sense why these things are suggested for us, right? It, yeah. My life will turn out better had I followed these suggestions. Yeah. And um, the, the the whole thing with the Bible stories is I, I would like to encourage anyone who's struggling with that to, to don't get hang, hung up on these stories. We don't know how to translate them p- perfectly. We don't know mm-hmm. if they're supposed to be, um, you know, word for word exact, like taken literally. I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say that, someone threw their staff at the ground and it turned into a snake. This, these could be metaphors. And a mm-hmm. lot of the Bible is metaphoric and, 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 uh, and parables. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, you know, some of these Christians that would tell me that the earth is only 2000 years old and like, it's clearly not, you know, science can show that it's not. Then I'm thinking, well, why do these two things have to be in conflict? But they don't. Christianity and science don't have to be in conflict. Yeah. We just need to not listen to those who, you know, follow Jesus yourself and not get hung up on some of these uh, minute details that yeah. you know that really don't matter. They're, yeah. they're not the point. Yeah, you know these are easy explanations for things back people back then. But what really matters is the gospels of Jesus. When you yeah. li- read the gospels and you follow that, and you see how your life turns out, then you know it's true. Yeah, and you know it was like the risk versus reward of it too. Like for me, like looking at it. Okay, what's the risk if if Christians are right or not? You know, it's like if Jesus is who he says he is and did the things he says he did, and if you believe in him, you have eternal life and like get to spend, you know, eternity with him in paradise and all this. Whereas like if if you don't believe in him, who knows what's gonna happen? True. Yeah. Now I struggle with that though, because that sounds good on paper, but then you yeah. still have to convince yourself to believe in something that you may not believe in. Yeah. So uh, taking that hurdle from, I don't believe in God, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say I do just because I want to maybe yeah. have these benefits, yeah. doesn't actually get your heart in the game, right? No, I agree. Your heart has to be in the game because you take small steps to get there yeah. and just have the openness that Jesus says, you know, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, that's all mm-hmm. it takes. And it's so true. It if you're just true. willing to, to say, okay, maybe there was a creator of all of this. Mm-hmm. Once you say that and you just are open yourself to that, it, it will be revealed to you. It was, yeah. it's just, it's, you it's open wild. that door and yeah. he'll come in, you know, like, and when you seek him out, he'll show up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it's I, like, so I'm going to, some of the things that we, that at least I'm going to speak for myself. Yeah. Sex before marriage, right. Um, not having sex before marriage, uh, you know, all, all these, let's just use that as an example. You know, as as a kid and as a, a normal person in society growing up without God, I think, well, what's the big deal about that? I don't want to get married to someone who I haven't slept with yet. I don't know if it's going to be good. But then you start to re- then I start to realize, well, no, if the bond that you would have with that person, if it was yeah. you and them, 
is going to be a lot stronger. That's proven. Science has proven that, that pair bonding decreases with the more sexual partners you have, the ability yeah. to pair bond with people. So, bam, Jesus had it, God had it right there. Then you... Uh, you see how important it is to have a solid family unit with a mother and a father in the home. So those who have sex before marriage and have kids out of wedlock, their kids suffer the consequences of it. Yeah. I mean, even Obama said, you know, list the statistics of how likely you are to go to prison and, yeah. and be homeless it's and obvious. suicide, all these things without having a you know, two-parent household. Mm -hmm. So all these things that we think was sounds silly, like, oh, I don't want some God telling me I can't have sex before marriage. What, who's that hurting? Yeah. But then as you, when you really look at it, you're like, wow, well, science even shows that these things are negative and the best way to happiness would be the way that God lays this out for it. Yeah. That doesn't mean if we do it any other way that I think that we're bad. We're not bad. We're, we're people. We're flawed. Yeah. But he lays out this plan, this land, this these set up a system, and said, "Look, if you follow this system, yeah. your life will be blessed." Yeah. And we choose not to follow that system, and then we deal with the heartaches because of that, right? Yeah. I I know, for me, like when I'm living in my will and like out there, like seeking the pleasures of the flesh mm -hmm. and like just trying to have my own way and not, you know living a life of meaning or you know living in the principles of of god or of jesus like my life sucked mm -hmm. you know <laughs> like yeah. it was hard things didn't work out for me yep. you know i felt like i was fighting upstream all the time like it felt i was it was a struggle you know and like there's the the saying if you, you know you do hard things your life will be easy you do easy things your life will be hard yeah and like great. living a life of discipline and like and that's part of, you know, living a, a Christian life is having discipline and, and walking, you know, with morals and values and like trying to walk in the principles that Jesus laid out for and us. And it's hard. And it's hard. It's you know? real hard. But through doing that, the blessings are just like poured out upon us, right? Like, and it's not always great, but we have the foundation to fall back on when things get ugly. But most of my life is just incredibly easy and blessed because I'm I'm living this lifestyle and I've chosen to follow, you know, those those principles and like chosen to walk that narrow path. Yep. You know, it's exactly. made all the difference. Totally. My whole life has been about instant gratification yeah. and going with what feels good at the time. Yeah. But there's always a a a debt that you pay for that. Yeah. And when you follow God, which is really hard, like I, it's, I struggle with it all the time. Like yeah. I, I'm saying this out loud, but it, every day is a struggle. I, I, yeah. I you know, my eyes veer, yeah. my brain runs, yeah. and I, I think about a lot of things that if I said out loud, people would probably be a little concerned about. But, yeah. um, but through seeking God and being open to letting Him be in your life, it's crazy that you you want to go the other way. Mm -hmm. You don't want the instant gratification. So you start to realize the blessings, like you just said, mm -hmm. the blessings that come on your life from not taking that immediate gratification, but mm -hmm. delaying that, doing what God says, and then boom, it moves into something way more beautiful that actually builds something substantial for yeah. you and the people in your family. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of... One of the great things about recovery and, like, in that 10th step is like we take an inventory of how we're acting, right? Mm -hmm. Take a daily inventory and when we're wrong, we promptly admit it. And like taking, just being aware of how I'm acting in society yeah. and like acting, you know, the way that I'm thinking and the way that I'm looking at women and like the way that I'm talking to myself and to other people and the way that I'm dealing 
with people in general, like being aware of it and then changing it. Like, don't just continue these behaviors, but like actually try to change it. And it's progress. You know what I mean? It's not perfection. Totally. It's just like we're, we're always trying to sharpen the iron and like trying to move closer to God. And how do you sharpen iron? With other iron. And yep. that's why it's so important to have solid brothers, sisters, yeah. people in your in your circle where you mm-hmm. can say some of these things you're thinking out loud. Yeah. And they're going to say, I understand. I think those things too. Not a good idea, brother. <laughs> you know, we need some people to check us sometimes. And, 100%. And uh, sometimes normal people who don't come from that background, it's like, uh, you don't feel as comfortable opening up with some of the things that are going on in my head. Yeah. Because they don't understand. But I can yeah. say it to someone else in recovery and, and check myself, you know? Yeah, you can walk into a room of Narcotics Anonymous and everybody understands. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> We're all the same, dude. Yeah, I love it. We all struggle with that. Yeah, that. I love it. And I, I love the fact that what gives credence to me that also helped me believe in a solid foundation of God is it's like the foundation of AA and NA and, and overcoming any obstacles in your life is a belief in a higher power. Yeah. So why is that? It makes me wonder, like, what's the scientific rationale mm-hmm. for that? It's there, There's got to be a reason that believing in a higher power and prayer and meditation is the key concept for recovering from any addiction. So why is that? It it, yeah. it, it has to be because it's real. Yeah. And if it's real, th- that means there is a higher power. And if if it's innate in us to be seeking that, like you said earlier, you said you always, you went through Buddhism and Taoism and all this stuff because you were seeking something. Mm-hmm. I think we all seek something. Yeah. We all seek something bigger than ourselves. Um, but we find ways to find, we found ways to use drugs or women mm-hmm. or gambling or sex or porn or violence or whatever yeah. it is to that to, we seek out for those feelings, but the feelings are channeled from above and mm-hmm. all we have to do is tap into that channel. And the great thing about NA and AA, and I think a lot of addicts are blessed because it, it, without that addiction, they would have never sought out yeah. God and without seeking out God, they would never have had their lives blessed the way they are. So yeah. I don't regret... You know, I, I try not to say I don't have regrets because there's some things I, I do think I would like to do differently. Yeah. But at the same time, what I've done is brought me here. And yeah. where I am now is with a relationship with God that I never thought I would have. And if you yeah. told me this f- five years ago, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. And now here I am. You know, I'm here with you. We're talking about God. Yeah. And uh, I'm getting excited about it. My palms yeah. are getting sweaty. I'm getting <laughs> stoked, you know, bring it on. Yeah. Yeah. So didn't grow up in a Christian household didn't quite get it on the first attempt with no. recovery. So you got out and you picked up a bag of meth and yep. just hit the streets running. Yep. And I, uh, I thought that meth was the, the best thing since <laughs> sliced bread. I mean, I, yeah. it, this is how sick I was, right? I, I really believed that because I wasn't using opiates that had like a physical addiction to them, yeah. that I was clean. I, I thought that I was doing good because I was using meth and I'm thinking, who doesn't want to have more energy? Like, who doesn't want to get more stuff done? Why doesn't everybody do this? Yeah, why does I was thinking, why doesn't everyone do this? This is wild. Like, I yeah. can't believe this is illegal. Like, why why are we not all on this? And um, and and I really I'm, I say that, and I'm laughing now, but I really believed that then. I really yeah. thought that, well, there's no physical addiction, so it can't be. I mean, it can't be that bad. I can quit anytime I want. Um, mm. Sadly, that's not how it works, right? Yeah. Because it really wasn't about the physical withdrawal from opiates in the first place that yeah. I like we like to tell ourselves 
It was the fact that we felt high and we did it again mm -hmm. and we did it again. And why did we do it every day? Not because we were physically addicted in the beginning, because we liked to get high and we were addicts. Yeah. And then that came later. So the uh, the meth just became, uh, that became the staple in my life. And um, yeah, that was... Uh, Where'd that lead you? No, that led me to, uh, well, jail, more rehab, getting clean for a little while off meth. But I had some more run-ins with some opiates here and there. Um, always drank and smoked weed in those in-between times that I was clean. Mm. I would think that I'm clean. I would tell people I'm clean, but I would be smoking weed every day or, or drinking on the weekends. Mm. Um, drinking was never a big thing for me, but, you know, I'd go out with friends and I'd get hammered and, you know, but smoking weed was always something I did intermittently and always thought I was clean, but it would always end up leading back to meth mm -hmm. because eventually I'd get too stoned. I'd be too tired. Yeah. I'd want something to pick me up or I'd get too drunk and I'd want to be out partying with the girls all night. And so I'll get a little bump, boom. And then, you know, it's right back into it because I didn't have a foundation of understanding and admitting to myself that I was an addict. And once I put in, I can't stop. Yeah. Until I came to that realization with myself, I would always justify using sometimes yeah and then that sometimes i'd get high wouldn't get high for a few months and be like look see i got control yeah and then i get high again and then wouldn't get high for a month see i got this and then those times in between get shorter and shorter and shorter and before you know it you're getting loaded every day again and right back where you where you started so yeah and i think you know we rationalize like Oh, it's just weed, you mm -hmm. know, or I'm just drinking, like everybody's doing it, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's like for me, I had to come to terms that I I can't successfully use anything exactly. because it always goes back to that place. Mm -hmm. Like when anything is okay, then anything is okay it's, under a certain circumstance. Exactly. You know what I mean? Totally. Because you're already using something. So like the jump from one thing to the next is not that far. Totally. You know, and well, it's just a slippery slope. Well said. You know, especially with alcohol. Yeah. Like it just, it changes your decision making. You know, like your, your rationalizing just goes out the window. And so like you're having a few beers or shots and then somebody pulls out a bag of dope, like your impulse control is not there. And your your rational thinking is not there, totally. And like so, you're just you're just that close. You know, and it's very deceptive because you can drink socially and normally mm -hmm. for quite a while yeah. until that one day where you don't, mm -hmm. and you have a little bit too much. And then someone hits you up on Facebook, hey, what are you doing? And there's someone you used to get high with, and you know, then it goes from there, and you go pick up a little bag, and then you're off and running again. So, yeah. the uh, the question you asked me earlier was, uh, you know. Where did it lead from there? Basically, my whole life was getting high, trying to get clean, doing good for a little bit, doing good-ish, getting high again, intermittently just smoking weed and drinking. That I think I was able to make it like three or four years with just doing that. Mm -hmm. um, no, I'm not even that long. So, yeah, a couple years of just smoking, and then it would be like meth and pills, and then I'd keep it together, and I'd use pills to sleep every night, so I was using crank every day, and then... Xanax every night and I was still making it to work and you know I then I would crumble and fall and then I'd get a girl who let me move in with her and I'd get my stuff back together and then mm -hmm. that relationship would go sour because I'm getting high and I was just using her anyway and on to the next one and mm -hmm. my whole life was just a cycle of 
wasted talent and wasted mm. skill that I knew I had. Yeah. And I'd get these tastes of success because I was really good at a few things. There's a few things I was really good at. And uh, sales is one of them. And I would just be such a great salesperson. And and I knew I had the, the opportunity to do better, but I didn't know how to stay clean. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to trust in, in a higher power. Yeah. Sorry, I kind of took that on a tangent there, but no, no, I think that's, I think that's important. And uh, just to go back to like, you know, when when we're using anything like all the time like that, like I'm trying to get to a point where I don't need anything. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to have to rely on anything. And so when we're like smoking weed all day and like rationalizing it's just weed like you're still like covering up emotions totally you're still changing the way that you're feeling yeah you know you're running you're you're trying to get out of your own mind you know like whether you're trying to go to bed or you're trying to you know i'm gonna smoke before i you know uh eat or whatever dude like you're always you're smoking when you feel good you're smoking when you feel bad i'm not a guy who's against marijuana i i'm actually very pro yeah thc i think it should have been legalized a long time ago but for me when i start getting high it doesn't matter if it's just weed i get high every day i can't stop i can't use it all the time i wake up i'm smoking even though i tell myself i'm just going to smoke before bed it never works out i smoke when i wake up out of bed yes and then i'm just smoking all day long and and you get to the point where it's so normal you feel fine, but now that yeah. I've been sober and clean and haven't smoked weed, yeah, even just weed, then I'm, I realized, wow, I was really living in a fog. I had no idea yeah. I was living in. Like, yep. And we're just like masking our feelings, you know. And I had to get to the point where, like, I just want to feel okay, just being me. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have to run. I don't want to have to change the way that I feel anymore. Yeah, I want to be able to be comfortable in my own skin yep. without having to change the way that I feel. And like. I can't deal with myself if I'm always changing the way that I feel, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, so I had to come to terms with that. And I could never use it su- successfully anyways. Like, it always just led me back to places I didn't want to be. So through your meth use, did you? is that when you started to really get into into the crime and stuff? Or where yeah, did that... well, I sold. I was into sales for quite a long time, for yeah. a long time, selling heroin, selling meth. I mean... You know, I have a lot of cra- good stories about this, and we could go on forever about, yeah. you know, uh, how much dope I sold, what I was able to afford, how, how I bought a house, all this yeah. stuff, right? But but really, um, what matters to me is how you can go from this life that you get so entrenched with, like, mm-hmm. it becomes, like, I, I, I use the term, it, it weaves into the fabric of who you are, yeah. like, getting high, selling drugs, doing crime, you get connected with people which some of those friendships were real. Like I had yeah. some friends that are hard not to de- talk to anymore yeah. that are in that life that I love them, you know, and I, and I hope they get clean. There's, a, there's quite a few people and it's so hard. You get, you become somebody and you become good at something and you belong. And, and that life is intertwined with who you are that it's mm-hmm. so hard to break that. It's yeah. so hard to move away from that, but there is a way to move away from that. And yeah. it, it does get better. And I know people say that and it's hard to understand that. But if, if you are an addict out there who's willing to do crime and go do six months or a year in jail and you're doing that over and over again or you're out there and you're not working, you're just living couch to couch streets for six months or a year, why don't you just try it? Yeah. Take take that six months that you were going to do in jail and, and go try getting clean and see if your life gets better. Yeah. Pray every day, even if you don't believe it. And I promise you, things are going to change. 
yeah like buy in you know what i mean like actually give it everything you got mm -hmm. you know like really i mean drink the kool-aid like yeah. give it a give it a shot you know yeah. like give god an opportunity like really seek him out really ask him to come into your life and like really buy into these programs too and like build relationships in in these rooms and work the steps to the best of your ability actually get honest with yourself about the things that you're doing and have done and like why was i doing these things because that was a big thing for me it was like figuring out what went wrong here yeah you know what i mean like how did how did i go from from that guy to this guy because the man that i became through crime and through the streets was not it's not who i am mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah i built an identity and like like you said like it became who i was through habit and like through building relationships but at the end of the day it's not who i am because as a sober minded individual i don't make those decisions you know what I mean? That's not who I want to be. Yeah. I don't lie, cheat, and manipulate. I'm not out committing armed robberies, yeah. poisoning my community with drugs. Like that's not who I. That's not the morals and values that I hold, mm -mm. and that's not who I want to be or strive to be. And so, you know, for the guys that are out there, like, you know, look at us. Look at guys like us that have lived that lifestyle to the fullest. And, you know, have played that game all the way through. And, you know, we all know, like, the streets are a lie. The streets don't love you. No. You know, there's there's nothing really out there at the end of the day. The, the best thing that comes out of those years in the streets are relationships. Yeah. You know, like, those relationships are real. Like, you, you bond through trauma and you bond through, you know, those those lifestyles and, and and all that like that's that's a real thing i would say resilience too you, resilience. you become really resilient yeah. out there and and if you can use that mm -hmm. for good yeah. and believe that you can do it because you can just because you've been out there for 10 15 years yeah it gets harder as you get older yeah for sure but there's a there's a place for you and you're resilient and you know you're resilient you need to believe that in your heart because mm -hmm. i know that you are not just you but any addict out there has been on the streets 15 years you're you got you've got some strong courage you got some strong will if you can direct that into something else yeah i mean you the world's yours and, and if nothing else you've been out there and you've done time you've done crime you've done all lying stealing cheating all that stuff you have a story that you can share yeah that will impact someone else yeah and when you see your story impact someone else that gives you fulfillment because you're making a positive change in someone's life. 100%. And there's nothing better to stay clean or to have purpose in your life than to help yeah. other people. That's, you know, that's what like instantly gave me like meaning and like gave all of my struggle meaning. Mm -hmm. Like all that pain doesn't have to be in vain. Like mm -hmm. we can use those experiences to help other people. And like all the negative like turmoil and chaos that we caused in our lives and for the people you know that care about us like all the all the harm that the devil used against us like god will flip the script and use it use all that pain for purpose yep. and you can use all all your experiences to turn back and and reach out and grab somebody else's hand and pull them out of the street. I like that. I hope anyone listening doesn't steal that tagline, "Pain for Purpose." Yeah, no, we're that's gonna, we're gonna we're gonna trademark that on something. Yeah, we should make pain some for shirts. purpose. Yeah, some shirts. Yeah. yeah, I like that. It's the truth, though. You know, like 
And then, so I, cause I spent so long, like felt like I was wasting my life and potential, mm-hmm. you know, like just wasting these years, fucking smoking heroin off foil, yeah. you know, just <laughs> sitting in a room and like, you know, no meaning to what yeah. I was doing, you know, just pleasure seeking. And so all that doesn't have to be in vain, you know, like you can use your story to help other people and, if you can do that and help one person, it's all freaking worth it. Yeah, I know. You know, it's it's the truth, and that's why it's it's so important for us to do things like this and to you know to show up to these programs and to share our story and to help other guys. You know, no, and it helps us one hundred percent because when I'm feeling like I don't want to go to a meetings or I don't want to go yeah. somewhere else, it's it's not always about me, just mm-hmm. me showing up. And when I'm at, people are asked. Who in here has a year or more recovery and I can raise my hand and I can be an example that it does work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's all I need to be there for. I need to be, I was called to show up because someone saw my hand up and it gave them hope right. or that, um, I look around and I see someone brand new straight off the streets and it reminds me, Oh sh- crap. Mm. I know how that feels. Thank you Lord for being with me today and taking yeah. me this far. And it brings my gratitude yeah. back, you know, and, and the reality that one bad decision, I'm one one bad choice away from that. Yeah. It's important to go to meetings and hear those newcomers. Yeah. It's like our lives get good out here. Totally. You know, like we build a good life and like we forget. Yeah. Dude. You forget what that felt like. Yeah. You know, and that's why I like doing H and I meetings, because I get to go back into these places, like into rehabs and jails and stuff and like get to sit down with these guys and and i've been there you know what i mean i've I've sat in those cells i've sat in these rehabs i know what that feels like and i know what they're feeling like and it's it works both ways i need to see and remember what what they feel like mm-hmm. and they need to see somebody that's made it out that's mm-hmm. been in the same chairs you know so it's it's a mutual benefit absolutely and uh one addict helping another yeah, right? that's how so we do it is without parallel yep that's how we do it so you ran all through your 20s and then into your 30s. And what was the turning point where you where you were like, what was your rock bottom? Like, where where were you at before that? And <laughs> like, a, what happened that made you change your mind that's and a good want question. something different? What were my, people have asked me this before, and what's your rock bottom? I, I hit rock bottom so many times. I mean, yeah, what you would have thought my bottom would have been a long time ago wasn't yeah. my bottom, right? Yeah. And so, you can always dig deeper. Yeah, and, and and it's and it's not always deeper. It's more like sometimes a lateral movement. Like I'm <laughs> like it, it's just as deep, but it's like yeah. it, uh, somewhere it's, else. It's somewhere else and something yeah. else. And things have had time to weigh on me. And I think that having my kid, my first son, mm-hmm. taken away from me, and that put me into a really quick downward spiral yeah. when I lost custody and guardianship of him. Yeah. And then I just I felt like it. Like there was no hope. I felt hopeless. That there was no chance. I spiraled out of control. Then I had another kid, mm. and I was going to get it together, but I didn't really know how to, and I don't think that I really wanted to fully. I wasn't ready to get clean. I still <clears> thought <throat> that there was hope for mm. me to do. There was still hope to cope and do dope. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but there wasn't. So um, then I lost that kid, and I got CPS took him away. And so now I've lost two kids and now I'm like totally feeling like a failure, like a total loser and going downward in a deeper spiral. 
still not ready to get clean, wanting to want to get clean, and I wanted yeah. to get clean. And I'd keep trying, but I would get kicked out of rehab for doing something dumb. I'd be in rehab, and I'd end up getting high anyway, mm-hmm. and I'd justify it. And um, I got picked up on a warrant one time during a CPS visit. The cops came in, and I was clean, but they picked me up on a warrant, and so I had to got kicked out of rehab and had to go back to jail, mm-hmm. and then I felt more hopeless from that. And I'm like, oh, see, people are going to keep setting me up. So it took mm-hmm. me a while out there. Then when I went to prison, I uh, I got another perspective on choices and and chances mm-hmm. because my celly was a lifer. Um, yeah. I was on the yard with a lot of lifers that were never getting out, and it gave me a, and a lot of people who've been down. T- 20 years, 15, 20 years, 25 years. Yeah. And uh, I'm out working out with them on the yard. We're working in the kitchen together. And I'm thinking, man, I got, I have the opportunity to be out of here soon. Yeah. And I don't ever have to come back. I don't have to be here this long. It's all about my own choices. So, yeah. and then I started to see people getting high in there and the, the amount of dope and drugs that's in there is just so overwhelming that mm-hmm. people are getting high in there more often than they were on the streets. And um, I saw the drama and the, stabbings and all that stuff that's associated with it and i thought man this is just addiction is sick like this brought it to brought a whole new perspective on how sick it was um so i wanted to be clean i really wanted it and i tried my best when i got out um but i didn't get connected i didn't connect with other people in recovery and the second someone came into my parolee house with dope um i indulged and then Mm. it was off from there right I managed it for another year or so. Then finally I lost my job and then it was full-fledged back into the streets. I just never was willing to accept help and I still thought I could do it on my own. So I would say that I wanted to get clean after I went to prison and uh, that's when I decided, you know, I really want to do something different, like I'm done with this. But I didn't quite know how and I wasn't willing to accept what was suggested of me yet. And then after a few more years of that and missing my kids and realizing, look, they're going to grow up and then there's like, I'm going to feel real hopeless. So I can feel like crap now or I can feel like a total asshole worse later. I need to make a decision. And uh, at that point, I started to like actually cry at night, missing my kids, knowing there was something better, trying to get into rehab. um, And then finally having that desire of like, look, I... I don't know what I'm doing. I don't got this figured out. I need help. So I think that's kind of the transition is um, around 31, it turned to reach my 30s, I started to think differently about where do I want my life to go. Yeah. In my 30s, it's like, okay, am I going to continue this life of, of if I'm just going to keep doing this in and out of prison thing and you know, jail, prison, and streets for the rest of my life? Or... Am I going to get it together? Because there comes a point where it becomes harder. What am I going to do? 40, 45, and then try to get clean. And then now I have that much longer of a gap in between employment and skills and the willingness to, uh, you know, learn an old dog, new tricks. Like then my kids just hate me because they're grown up and I'm too old. And so then I had to make a decision. Like, what do I really want with my life? And I want to be clean, but I don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I can do it. And that's where the first spark of hope came yeah yeah i think uh i think that's important you know and i i relate to that and a lot of guys never get it you know like i would say most guys keep going in and out of prison and like you know you see guys coming in and out of the rooms Mm -hmm. 
and just like back and forth, back and forth. But uh, I I felt the same way like when I lost custody of my daughter. Uh, you know, I was shackled to a table in a courtroom. They shuffled me in and and told me I lost custody, and I was like, just broken, dude. Totally. You know, just like really got the fuckets. You know, like I don't even care anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that was the only thing I even cared about. Yeah. You know, so now you take that away, and then like my hatred for women after that, and like through the whole experience, you know, just really hurt, dude. A lot of pain from that anything whole... you can do to not take responsibility yeah. for yourself. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Blame everyone else. Yeah. Blame... It's easier that way. Yeah. Instead yeah. of to look at yourself and be like, look, I'm the one in control here. <laughs> I'm the one making these decisions. And... I know. I didn't even realize that until I worked that four step. Totally. Yeah. I worked that four yeah. step and I was like, oh. Yeah. I'm actually the problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was the one. Yeah. I'm not just know. the unluckiest guy in the world who everywhere I go, yeah. it's just everyone's just dooms on me. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm the toxic yeah. person. <laughs> I'm the common denominator yeah, exactly. in all these situations. Yeah. yeah. So, so the seed was planted. You're like, I want something different here, but you just weren't quite ready to surrender. Is that you had to get, you had to do yeah, a little I mean, more. this was a process that happened over and over. And yeah. a lot of times throughout my life, I was like, I want to be clean, but I don't want to stop smoking weed. I, yeah. I want to be clean, but yeah. I really don't. I just wish I want to want to be clean. Mm-hmm. That was kind of how it went. And then, then finally, you know, after being out there and just coming to the realization, like, look, if I don't get clean, I'm going to yeah. spend the rest of my life locked up because the, the things I'm doing continue to get progressively worse and worse. I continue to get more and more angry and more and more rageful. And, um, I, I just, it's been a process to want to get clean. Even when I came in this time, Mm -hmm. uh, this last time that I went in, I, I was determined that I really wanted it. And I think that what really, because I really wanted it, I was willing to pray to a God I didn't believe in. Mm. And that was the turning point when I started to actually pray, even though I didn't believe I just went through the motions and then it's something that you can't explain. Yeah. Someone just has to do it to feel it. Yeah. But then these but it starts with that willingness. Yeah, so. exactly. The, yeah. And then the connections start to make on like, Oh wow. Well that makes sense. Well maybe, maybe creation makes more sense than, than yeah. everything else. And, and these feeling, and, and then he starts to open doors for you where you meet the right person and you have the right conversation mm-hmm. that connects better dots yeah. and you have the open. I mean, if your mind's open, I mean, it's cheesy, you know, a mind, is like a parachute. It works best when it's open. I mean, it's, yeah. che- it's a cheesy cliche that you see on like kindergarten true, t- uh, yeah. walls, right? Posters, yeah, yeah. but it's so true. Like if, yeah. if you're open and you're not going to be, com- and you try not to be combative mm-hmm. and you just really shut your mouth and open your two ears and mm-hmm. listen to what someone else has to say yeah, and try not to fight it, just listen yeah, and walk away. Those things, it, it'll, it, you know, you'll start to think about that more and be yeah. open to things that maybe you weren't open to before. Yeah. I mean, that's how this program works. That's the acronym. How honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. Yeah. Like it starts, you know, mm. with those three things, like being honest about where you're at and like the things that you've done and then being open-minded, you know, to this program and to a higher power and being willing to seek him out and like being willing to, being willing to be open-minded, mm-hmm. you know, and being willing to be honest with other people, 
because it was it was hard for me to like be honest with anybody. It was hard for me to be honest with myself. That's what it was hard for me to do is be honest with myself. <laughs> and you know, I think one one of the things that that actually catapulted me into this was, um, and I talked about this in the meeting. Like, you know, I I went to a this program running away from something, Mm -hmm. running away from a crime that I was worried was going to catch up to me. And it was started with a nine one one prayer, you know, Mm. God, please get me out of this and I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll seek you. I'll do. So as I'm sitting in rehab, wondering if this, uh, violent, this act of violence is coming back on me, I'm trying to appease God that I don't believe in. And I'm like, okay, let me, my counselor gives me a book. Look, God, I'm doing the book. Please don't let me. But then through doing some of this work and reading some of the Bible and then showing up to the church groups and trying to like, I was doing it for the wrong reasons at first, right? I was doing it because I thought that it would somehow, uh, it was like a karma thing. Like, oh, I'm going to do this and hopefully this won't catch up to me. Mm. But what happened is through seeking that, even if it was for the wrong reasons at first, it opened my eyes and opened my heart to realize Wow, you know, this, this, yeah, this might be real. And then my life started to, everything started to unfold. And some of it's hard to put into words, you know, Mm -hmm. um, how much can be revealed if you're open to being, you know, open to being um, blessed with this knowledge of this power you can tap into at any time. Ever since I've been clean, which has been four and a half years now, I haven't had a single bad day. Some days aren't as good as others. Yeah. But it's always good compared to what it could be. I know. Yeah. Like I look at back at what it could be. It's always great. And guess what? If it's not good and I don't have it figured out, I don't have to. Mm. He'll figure it out. Right? I got to put one foot in front of the other. I got to do the work. Yep. But I don't really need to know where that road ends. I just need to know that I just take another step and I take another step and he'll reveal yeah. the end of that road and it'll all work out the way it's supposed to. And once you have that, it gives you so much peace. Yeah. hundred percent. Just having that faith. Yeah. You know, like controlling what you can control, you know, and giving the rest to God. Like the serenity prayer. I think it's something yeah. that gets diluted because we say it so often and it becomes yeah. like this thing we just say out loud. But when you really break it down and think about what that, that, few sentences really mean mm-hmm. it's powerful it's super powerful i mean if you can really that's tap, why we say it every day yeah i know but and it becomes a <laughs> such a cliche and yeah. if you just say it out loud and you just follow everyone chants it together yeah. it just becomes this thing that just drones behind you it kind of <clears> becomes <throat> a dead word yeah or dead phrase but when you actually break it down it's like god grant me the, the serenity or the peace to realize that i'm not in control of everything yeah and why am I going to stress about those things I can't control? Yeah. The whatever I can't control, it's supposed to happen this way. And yeah. one door closes, another opens. I say, thank God for unanswered prayers. Can yeah. you imagine if everything that you wanted before happened, you wouldn't have the things you had today. I can't imagine. If I got the girl yeah. that I wish I wanted a few years ago, who knows what kind of disastrous mess I'd be in, right? Yeah. If I got this job that I wanted in the past... Mm-hmm. And I was so bu- perfect example. I've got this job. I wanted it. They hired me on. They did a background check. I'm burnt. Yep. Right. Then I get another opportunity for another job, and I'm ends up being way better. Yeah. And so while I'm mad, cursing God, why don't you? Why are you shutting these doors on me? I'm trying to do everything right. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I was just patient enough, mm-hmm. I realized He opened another one for me that was way better, and I was able yeah. to touch and bless more lives through this other door than I would have here. So, you know, these things that we think we want, you know. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to, I would say it's not hard, but it, it takes time to get to that point of like, 
just having complete faith in God and like in the process. And you have to experience things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to live in that faith and then have the retrospect to be like, wow, that, that worked out exactly how it was supposed to, mm -hmm. you know, and through having that faith, like, I, you know, it saves you so much like stress and anxiety because you're not constantly worried about the future. You know what I mean? We control what we can control our actions and our reactions to things that are happening and then give the expectations and the outcomes to God and whether that works in our favor or not, like it's working in God's favor regardless. And like, I'm all in for his favor. Totally. Anyways. I have a, I've got a great story actually that this is probably, there, uh, this is a perfect example. I knew a person, guy, a girl actually, car broke down. Of course, that's miserable. That sucks. Your car's broken down. Yeah. So all upset. So we have to call a tow truck and whatever, end up getting an Uber, getting this Uber ride. So Uber comes, picks us up. Well, the Uber driver ends up having a, a job opportunity for this girl that was great. And so here we go from this God, you know, cursing God for this car breaking down. But then in the end, it turned out that this other door was open through meeting the and talking to the Uber driver that ended up being a huge yeah. blessing and a life-altering experience. So yeah. you never know when you think things are bad, you don't realize what that bad thing mm -hmm. could actually be turned for good. Yeah. You Relationships know? too, you know, yeah. like you think... Oh, my girl's leaving me. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But like sometimes those relationships have to end. Yeah. So you can like focus on yourself and, you know, work on some character development. Totally. And become a better person to attract the woman of your dreams. That you really want instead yeah. of being a codependent jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, going back to that character development too, like you were touching on. You know, we have to work on ourselves to become the best version of ourselves. So when we're given these opportunities, we can capitalize on them. Yeah. It's like when I, when I was out there struggling in my addiction, like I was given opportunities, but I didn't have the character to live up to the person that could take advantage of those blessings. You know, so today I'm, I try to develop my character and like sharpen that blade. So when not, not only am I creating my own opportunities, mm -hmm. but when these opportunities show up in my life, these blessings, I'm able to capitalize on them, you know? And I think that's a huge part of, of recovery and, and then life in general. Totally. I would spin that a little bit um, and or build off of that, that um, I think uh, these opportunities would show up in the past, but I didn't trust myself mm -hmm. enough to take advantage of them because I was so used to just losing everything anyway. Yeah. And I was so used to failing yeah. that these opportunities would come up and it would sound good, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I, I just wouldn't take full advantage because I knew I was going to lose it anyway. Mm. And when you have that mindset, it's a loser's mindset. I mean, yeah. it, it's a it's a pity me, I'm a victim, poor me, loser mindset. And I know that's harsh, but when you can come into it and say, no, I can do this. I'm going to do the next right thing. Mm -hmm. The next step I take is going to be the right step yeah. and the right step and the right step. Then all of a sudden you're not losing all these things again. And now you're be making these little tiny goals and achieving them. And then all of a sudden you're building confidence in yourself. Yeah. Wow. I can set a goal. I can achieve it. Let me set another goal. That's a little mm -hmm. higher. And then you set that goal. And now you've built this habit of setting goals, yeah. believing that you can do it, trusting the process and then mm -hmm. achieving it. And then that, that confidence is something that 
um, is so important. It's so important to get out there and do, like you were saying earlier, you're talking about these 70 mile runs and these swims. It sounds like, man, that sounds terrible. (laughs) It it does sound terrible. I'm not, (laughs) but the the thing is, the the thing is, uh, you know, you set a goal and then you achieve it. And the end of that, the, the self confidence and fulfillment you get from like, look, yeah, I set that, and no matter how bad that sucked, and how many how many times I wanted to quit, I didn't. Yeah, and I was able to do that. And the, and the way that translates and ripples into the other things in your life is just tremendous. Hundred percent. It it, uh, it becomes a lifestyle, you know, of having goals and setting goals, and like just having the goals and having direction, and like having the discipline to, you know, have that character development and work towards these things. And like the person that I become through having fitness goals and like working towards them and having the discipline and the structure in my life and building those positive habits, it does. It ripples through all areas of my life, Mm -hmm. business and relationships and just how I'm, you know, carrying myself in general. And another part of that too, of, of like the confidence and the stacking wins is when we overcome hardship in our life in recovery without using oh 100 when you go through a tough time when that girl leaves you when you lose that job when your dog dies whatever it is and you don't use and you overcome those struggles and like you you use the tools that we learn in these programs and like you rely on god you have that faith you reach out to somebody else you talk about it you work some steps over whatever you got to do but you overcome those things in recovery, yes. like you gain that confidence. I would, like I, would, I can, I would, yeah, I would. I argue, can get through anything. I would argue that what you just said was even more value, more powerful than the analogy or the the kind of it's painting. Just another I, the painting part I, of it, yeah. because you know one of the things that I'd always fall off the deep end with was when I'd break up, when I'd get yeah break up with a girl, and a relationship would end, and then. Like, yeah, I was never really clean anyway, but I would just go downhill a lot faster mm-hmm. when those relationships would end. And I would start using a lot more and a lot more my doses of everything I'd be using would go up. Mm-hmm. Well, then in recovery, then I, I get out of a relationship and I don't get high. And then I just realized, wow, I can do that. Yeah, I've never been able to do that before. I got yeah. out of a relationship and I didn't get loaded over it. Holy crap. Yeah, I know. I can do this. Like things yeah. will get it sucks and you sit through those bad emotions and you don't get loaded over it. It yeah. gives you the, um, the the confidence it gives you to like look. Wow, the things that they say in A are are so real. Your feelings they'll pass. Yeah. They'll go away. Yeah. The, you getting high, that's going to lead that, that's not going to stop until you hit the wall. Yeah. If you can sit through some negative feelings and you can sit through them and sit them out and realize they're just feelings, they're not going to kill you. Yeah. The, the the freedom that, I mean, it sucks in the time, but afterwards, the freedom you get from that is like, wow, I, I really can go through yeah. some hard shit and not get high over it. Yeah, and you see guys go through the worst, you know, their children dying and, like, they don't use over it. You I know. know. Like, That's rough. We never have to use again, you know, and I spent so, so many years, like, running from my feelings, you know, like, didn't want to feel, mm-hmm. you know, like, couldn't handle my emotions. And like, I had to come to terms, like, it's okay to feel. Yeah. Like, it's okay to have feelings. And like, believe it or not, that's what most people do. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Most of the population actually has these things. I know I wasn't until I was like 33 till I actually had an emotion. I know, right? Oh, wow. What is this? Like, able to deal with it. Yeah, I know. So, like, it's okay to feel, you know? And like, 
I need I needed to learn how to process these emotions without adding drugs and alcohol because all that does is make things worse, you know? Like the drugs and alcohol it started as fun, you know, and then it became a coping mechanism. Totally. You know, where like I would use to change the way that I felt. I would use to, you know, get outside of my head. But then the drugs became a problem in themselves. So now the drugs are an issue. Where like every time I'm using drugs and I'm using drugs all the time, like the drugs themselves are a problem. Like when I put drugs and alcohol into my body, it's a real issue for me. Like my whole life goes sideways. I'm not able to keep anything together. So I need to realize that adding drugs and alcohol to any situation is just like pouring gas on the fire. It's not going to help anything. No, it just adds another problem. Yeah, it just adds another problem. And it's like, you know, that instant gratification or that instant like release of tension that, you know, uh, of a shot of whiskey can give me is not even close to worth the repercussions that come there from it. No, and I think that's one of the benefits of once you can actually sit out and get a good amount of time. Like, yeah, everyone's different for me. It was like probably a good a year mm-hmm. where you get this good amount of time. You actually have the the ability to stop, yeah, and play the tape all the way through. Yeah. Where and with with a clear mind, like mm-hmm. where is this really going to take me? Because at this point, to me, there's no there's no reason in which doing getting high or getting drunk sounds like it would be a viable solution but in the beginning of getting high i would find a way to internally deep in my mind rationalize a good reason so i could go back out there and and blame it on something else and not me but uh, once you get some time playing the tape all the way through okay let me get high if i get high over this if i get drunk over this if i I do whatever over this feeling what's that going to do cool i'm going to feel good for a minute then i'm going to feel some deep shame yeah. For letting myself down for doing what I said I wasn't going to do. And then mm-hmm. that problem, that feeling, it's still there. It's still there. And it's probably worse. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think it comes down to that willingness, too. Of Like, when I was out there, like, rationalizing my using, you know, to change the way that I felt over these problems. Like, I really, it was really because I wasn't willing to do whatever it took to stay sober. Totally. Like, I remember having the conscious decision, like, I should probably call somebody. You know, I should probably go to a meeting. Instead, I'm pulling into the freaking liquor store. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't actually willing to do the things necessary to get and stay sober. And, like, that's, that's an honesty thing that you have to come to terms with. And it's like, are you really willing to do the things necessary? And if you are, then you're willing to take certain steps to ensure that you remain clean and sober, mm-hmm. like picking up the phone, like going to a totally. Meeting. And and I think so. Like in sales, uh, in any type of sales, you know, we realize that people don't people don't buy what they what they need. Yeah, they buy what they want, right? Mm-hmm. They they buy based on something that's emotional to them. Yeah, even if they they need something, like let's say someone has they're diabetic, they're overweight, their doctor says you're going to die if you don't get in shape, they still will hesitate doing it mm-hmm. because even though they need it, they don't really want it. Right. So the, the goal is to find out how we can get them to want it. And I think the same thing with recovery is we know we need it, mm-hmm. but we don't 
want it because it doesn't sound yeah. more fun than what we're doing. And I think that's why it's so, it's just so important to find people you can connect with that are clean and sober mm -hmm. and make sure it's fun. Because if being sober is not fun and being loaded is more fun, you're going to always go back to being loaded. Yeah. Even if you know that logically being clean is better, yeah. emotionally is the emotions are always going to take over and we're going to go yeah. with what what feels better than what we know we want. So we got to find a way to make recovery fun and enjoyable. And then to do, do what you said and find ways to, to stick it out, even when it's not to stack those wins yeah. to where you're like, wow, okay, I'm really winning. I'm seeing a good streak here and I don't want to lose that. And even wanting it is not enough. Mm -mm. You know, like I, I wanted to be sober for a few years there, like really wanted it, you know, and like really wanted you know, to be doing the right things and like get my daughter, you know, back in my life the way I wanted it to be and like be able to hold jobs and like mm -hmm. live up to my own expectations. And I couldn't do it. Like I was powerless, you know, and I had to be, I had to be stripped of everything, you know, and like really get that gift of desperation. Like mm -hmm. I need to be sober or I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison or I'm going to die. Like mm -hmm. those were, that was it, dude. Like yeah. my health had declined to the point where I was at a turning point and my life of crime had, had gone, you know, to a point where I was, I was at the crossroads. Yeah. And then you look so sick. you just look suspicious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and I was, I was sick more than anything in my spirit. Yeah. You totally. know, I was broken, dude. I was absolutely broken. And, and that, and God knew that. You know, and God put me into that position and sat my ass down for a little while, exactly where I needed to be, and he never left me. You know what I mean? Through all the shit that I went through in the streets, through all the chaos and pain and turmoil that I went through, God was there the whole time. And he guided me and, and blessed me through all these situations that I should have died or done a bunch of time over anyways. Mm -hmm. And he knew exactly what I needed at the right time and waited for me to be open-minded enough and stripped down humble enough to reach out to him. And he never left. And he was right there when I called, you know? Totally. And you know, uh, they say a lot of guys find God in prison and, yeah. and, and in these desperate times. And there, you'll have a part of the population that looks at that as a testament that, that God's just in our head because, yeah. oh, oh, now you believe in him because you're in this crappy situation and you're just looking for a way out. But I don't look at it that at all. I think that, the, like you just said, the blessing of desperation or the yeah. gift of desperation, when you're finally in a point where you realize, I don't have it figured out and mm -hmm. I need help, yeah. then you're open to seeking that help. And so, yeah, it makes sense that that people find God in, in tough places because, I mean, look, look at the disciples that Jesus walked around with. They were people yeah. who were struggling, yep. who realized that, you know, they didn't have it figured out and they needed something else. So sometimes it takes um, being in a, a bad place to realize that I need something beyond myself yeah. and just to be open to that, like we said earlier. And now that open, that open-mindedness starts to ripple into like true belief and mm -hmm. understanding some of these things that maybe you didn't believe before. Yeah. And I don't think it has to get to that point of desperation. Totally does. You not. know, yeah. but if you're the real alcoholic and like you're, you're at that point of powerlessness, like it's the only solution. Like you have to get a higher power in your life. You're not going to be able to overcome your addiction without God. Which right there is proof to me that we are not 
the end all be all. Right. Right. If you have to have a higher power, you have if every, to. If every if every foundational NA AA any recovery group has any, uh, all of them have basis on finding a higher power. So if that is the one of the key things that's necessary to overcome obstacles that you're struggling with, that's that's a huge proof right there that maybe yeah. maybe just maybe, yeah, there's something to that. Yeah, and like I remember looking at all these people that had spirituality and like you know religious lives and people that i looked up to and respected you know and like like what did they have that i didn't they had this connection with with god like yeah. they had this lifestyle built off the foundation of god and who am i like i i'm just some dirtbag drug addict yeah. thief yeah. like who am i to say they're wrong yeah you know what i mean i don't have my shit together they have what I want, and yeah. they have this relationship with God. Maybe that's a missing piece. Yeah, right? exactly. Just maybe. And then we come in these rooms, and like all the guys that have been through the things that we've been through, they have God. Yeah, they've recovered. They found meaning in their life. So it was, it was like, okay, let me get out of my own way here, and like open my mind up to this possibility. Totally. And uh, so when when you first got sober and you started working the steps, like what were some of the the turning points and like some of like where did the light bulbs come on and in, in your early recovery really writing down i, I remember writing down in the uh, na workbook i, I worked mm -hmm. in the na workbook and uh i remember writing down all the things and which was great when i was fresh mm -hmm. and clean because i could relate all these things to like how i would just been feeling in my addiction now if i did it i think a lot of the answers would be different i struggle with different things now yeah um my powerlessness shows up in different ways. But one of the things that really, when you write this stuff down, it's one thing to like hear someone say it and then identify with it. But when you actually write it down mm -hmm. and you read it out loud, like to yourself, it becomes yeah. so real. And you I have agree. to come to terms with the reality of like, when you get asked this question, like how did powerlessness show up in your life with your addiction? And you start writing all that out. It's like, wow, yeah, it's hard to deny that I really do have a problem. I just put it on paper in my own words. Mm -hmm. um, and some of that just really starts to reinforce like, okay, you know, uh, this is what it is. But as I, as you keep working, you realize that it doesn't have to continue to be that way. Um, yeah, but I'd say the turning point for me was, uh, it, it's really simple. And I, it's a answer that doesn't need much explanation, but the turning point was God, mm -hmm. was being open to a higher power. Yeah. And praying. And even though I didn't believe it, being open to the fact that maybe there was something to it, because why is everyone else getting clean, believing in this? Mm -hmm. And it's the one thing that I've rejected my whole life and I've never been able to stay clean. So why don't I try it? And I think that's the biggest turning point. I would just, yeah. the openness to a higher power. And I would, I would say that gratitude and higher power are the two like most important, biggest, yeah. exciting topics for me to talk about because gr gratitude and higher power are the two things that are just like foundational in not just staying clean, but loving every day that I'm clean. Yeah. What are, how has gratitude changed your perspective? Oh, I don't do it every day anymore, but in the beginning I used to like actually write down the things I was grateful for. Yeah. Um, now I don't do that as I probably should. Um, but I do reflect very often daily in, in like meditation when I take five or 10 minutes and I think about all the things that are going so great in my life. Um, mm -hmm. it, it just, it reminds me like that everything I'm doing is good. Yeah. And what I've trained myself to do was that every time a bad thought came up, something negative, mm -hmm. 
I would turn it into something positive. I think I've kind of done that a few times here, right? We're finding the silver lining and everything. And anytime yeah. I would have a negative thought of like, oh man, I got a long day today. Then I turn it into, I just flip it, flip it right around. It's like, man, I have a long day out here in the gym with tons of people that are happy to be here. And yeah. I get to go eat f- my own food that I cook at home that I don't have to be served on a plastic tray. Yeah. I get to wear my own clothes. I can, you know, so I, I think of all the things that are great. Oh, I have my kids I can go see and talk to. Mm-hmm. And I, I turn these things that, you know, you want to get down and, and bitch and complain because I think we all get into that habit. But if you can get in the habit of turning your bitching into praising, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's easy to stay grateful. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's a guy, I don't know if you ever heard of Wes Watson. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I, I, I love him because he says some stuff that's just so real. It's like mm-hmm. when people are bitching and, and complaining about this is hard or this, it's like, yeah, compared to what? Yeah. Like this sucks compared to, to what? Compared to your, because w- when you've been in the depths of darkness and you've been in, in this gutter and you've been in the worst places, man, this it, it doesn't matter how bad it is out here. It's fucking good, you know? Yeah. Sorry, excuse me. I don't know if I'm allowed to, you know. No, I cuss all the time. Okay. I uh I can't agree more. Like uh you know, it's all about perspective. Yeah. You know, it's like and when you've been in those dark places, you know, only then can you appreciate the light. Mm-hmm. You know, like I had to feel those depths of pain to understand the peace and serenity that I have today, you know. And uh the gratitude for me too has just been so crucial and like the majority of my prayers are just around gratitude just like so thankful for everything that i have yeah reinforcing that and yeah and the more that we're that we like have thoughts of gratitude for me i've noticed like the more things i get to be grateful for like the more i i focus on the positivity the more i see positivity like the more gratitude I have, the more things I'm able to have gratitude for, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all about that perspective. And uh, for me, going like the God thing was was the biggest shift also. And I found it in that third step and like making that decision to turn my will and my life over to a higher power. And for me, like that was it, you know, like I'm, I'm cutting the tie here. Like I'm I'm cutting off the route to my old life like yeah, this is it yeah. you know i'm making this decision yeah. and I'm, I'm this i'm only doing this once you know what i mean like i'm not i'm not redoing this i'm i'm making this decision i'm repenting i'm changing directions and i'm going to try to live my life you know in god's will whatever whatever that happens to be i'm going to try and be obedient to it and just like follow that direction totally. and and try to do that to the best of my ability and like you know we've talked about we're human we make mistakes but Mm -hmm. trying to align my will with god's will and try to be aware like is this in god's will yeah totally because sometimes you don't know if it's in his will but i know what's not in his will right and it's usually the first thing i want to do yeah yeah if if, if it's self-seeking yeah yeah. if it's yeah if it it sounds like it's it's something that i would want to do and it's probably not something he wants me to do exactly and when I made that decision and like have tried to be obedient to what I feel his will is in my life, my life has gotten better. Like, totally. From and it just on. takes the burden off of you. Yeah. Like then that, that, again, I want to reiterate, that's not to say that you can sit around and not do anything and expect that God's just going to do no. all the stuff in your life. Right. But, um, 
if you can do your best and do the next right thing mm -hmm. and pray for guidance, just get out of your own way and realize that you don't have to control everything. Yeah. That if it doesn't work out, maybe it just wasn't supposed to work out. Yep. Yep. And for me, like trying to walk in that will, like, and for me, God's will looks like service and like being a, a good person, like living righteously, being a good member of society, mm -hmm. you know, trying to be helpful wherever I can. And, uh, and then, yeah, doing, you know, like having my own goals, but making sure these goals are, are, are aligned with God's will and like moving in that flow of life. Mm -hmm. And the more that I've, you know, tried to walk in that lifestyle, like things have just worked out, you know? Totally. And when, when they're not working out, it's because it's me. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm the one trying to control something and it, it becomes blatantly obvious. Well, yeah. I mean, every time we've tried to control something, we ran it into the ground. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about fitness. You're a, you're a, a personal trainer. Yes, sir. How did that come about? Like, was that something you found just in recovery or I know, like you said, your mom and dad were into fitness. So you kind of had that instilled into you. Yeah. So, uh, actually, the, so this actually goes back to my first time going to, I got nine months when I was like 19 in mm -hmm. County jail and, uh, had to do some rehab after that. And uh, one of the things that I've started to do in there was work out, right. Is mm -hmm. one of the things I started to do. I started to notice a difference and I, and I liked it. And it was actually something that kept me gave me something when I got out as a hobby to continue with. So as I'm looking for things to where I'm going to take my life, I, I liked, now I liked working out regularly and I liked playing guitar. I played music. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go to college for music. Mm -hmm. So I went to Sierra College, signed up for some classes, realized really quick, oh, th this is not for me. I love music, but I do not, this is making me not like it. So it totally, it was great because I knew that, okay, that's definitely not what I want to do. So what should I do? And then I saw this list of jobs come out that said, uh, you know, the top top biggest booming industries and personal training was one of them. And I was like, well, why don't I do that? I love working out. I love, uh, I would love to help people. Working out has kept, helped kept me clean, you know, because mm -hmm. that was always something I fell back on. And so I decided to do that. And so I actually started personal training when I was 21. And I, for my whole adult life, that's pretty much what I've always done mm -hmm. when I I'd get off track. Even when I was off track for a while, I'd still be training, working in the gym, managing a gym. And then finally, you know, things would get bad and that'd fall off the rails and mm -hmm. I'd be off for a while. Then I'd get cleanish again or, yeah. you know, come back out of some treatment or some jail stint and then get back into training. So, so really, I, I mean, I started training 15 years ago, 16 years ago when I was 21. I'm about to be 38 now. So a while. Yeah. So it's something I've always done. Mm -hmm. Um, but since I've been clean and sober here, it's been, you know, it's, it's been really good, straight, yeah, straight time, no, uh, no interruptions, you know? Mm -hmm. So what do you get out of fitness? What's it, what's it do for you? It's the great question, right? It's always great to see your body change. Yeah. It's probably partially a, a, a replacement addiction, right? Mm -hmm. I get addicted to setting goals and achieving them. That's great. I get addicted yeah. to seeing my body change. I also get body dysmorphia, right? There's probably a lot of other mental stuff going on that's probably not the healthiest with that. But uh, the one thing that it does more than anything that I'm so passionate about with fitness is 
it gets me out of myself. So for that time I'm working out, I'm not thinking about anything but letting my mind be free and detaching. So it's a great like kind of meditative thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's endorphins is a great way to, to replenish the yeah. dopamine and the endorphins that maybe I, I'm missing from substances. Yeah. And then when I don't get that, then it's like, oh, I, I need that again. So yeah. getting that pump, setting goals, achieving new records, it's just a great way to, to it's like a snapshot of what I want my entire life to look like, right? Yeah. I want my entire life to look like me achieving goals outside of the gym um, and inside. It's just, a, I would say it's more of a mental escape. It's probably the best mental therapy yeah. of anything is just being in the zone and moving and getting in tune with your thoughts and putting everything out to the side, you know? Yeah. So I, I would say that mental health is probably the number one benefit yeah. from from exercise and training. And, and that's why I'm super passionate about trying to get people um, involved with working out, especially in recovery, because mm-hmm. when you're so devoid and you're in this deficit of good hormone or good hormones and dopamine and all these good feeling chemicals, you're in such a deficit. We need to bring those back. Yeah. And a great way to do that is building your those endorphins and the dopamine back, but also building your confidence back yeah. and making those small wins along the way that can translate into your business life or your, your family life. hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's probably the number one, like cornerstone of my mental health and like recovery mm-hmm. is like, I need it. I need it. Mm-hmm. Like I need it for mental clarity. I need it for processing emotions i need it for processing ideas totally great you know what i mean like especially for me the endurance stuff i've gotten into like the running has been so like meditative and and being able to like process what's going on in my life you know and and uh just kind of deal with things that are going on in my brain you know and then you know like you said the goal setting you know the the pursuit of of these goals and every all the positive benefits that come from the discipline of exercise that you know from nutrition um, to you know paying attention to the way you know your sleep cycle mm-hmm. water intake um, and and like becoming obsessive with it too and like becoming addictive to it and like it's okay. Like some of the greatest people in the world have addictive personalities. Like totally, we were saying, yeah. it's like, what are you funneling that into? Yeah. So if you can put it into positive things, then it, it'll show. You know yeah. I mean? And as long as it's not causing detriment in your life. Right. right. So right. I think that's where you, I would draw the line. Is yeah. When, yeah. When, no, when for your sure. family life or your other parts of your life are starting to become affected because mm-hmm. of it, that would probably be a negative. But um, the, the, Thing is, because I've done this so long, and I started doing it because it was one of those jobs I could get uh, with felonies. A lot of gyms weren't doing background checks, and so many other jobs weren't taking me. But then after so long, it was kind of like being in the streets. I got good at it. I got really good at helping people. I got good at creating systems. I got good at creating sales systems and Mm -hmm. training systems that would work if people apply them. And so then the confidence in what I have to offer in my service is just grows, and I know what I can do for someone. Um, if they're, if they're willing to just show up and, and, and try. And so that's another passion of mine because it's something that's become my calling. Yeah. And it also gets me out of myself. So I get to help someone else. Yeah. 
And even though it may not be helping them in recovery here, I know that I'm helping them with so much of their mental health, um, whether it be from from whatever their trauma or background is. It may not be from drugs. Uh, it could just be from wanting to get in shape. That's what they say, but there's always a deeper layer to that. Yeah. And I know that whatever that deeper layer is, even if I haven't reached the point of understanding what that is yet, I know that I'm helping someone else. Yeah, that's a great point. Like you get to, it's a, it's a service position, mm-hmm. like be able to help people to, you know, work towards their goals in fitness. And, uh, you know, it feels good to look good. You know, people get that confidence and the positive things that we get out of exercise ripple through everything in our life. Totally. And I've noticed that like the discipline and and focus on my physical goals ripples into my business life. And, you know, that discipline becomes habit. Right. And like it, it becomes habitual in, in, in all of my practices, everything that I'm doing and that perseverance and the goal setting and achieving and and the chasing like it's it's a lifestyle you know and that lifestyle was built on the foundation of exercise mm-hmm. and uh and then all just yeah all the physical benefits you get from it too obviously you know the mental health and, and clarity the physical health and uh it's just i can't push it on newcomers enough you know i'm just totally like, it needs to be part of your life yeah you know, get your ass off the couch. And not everyone, you know, I understand. I, I love weight training. That's my thing. I, yeah. I understand, though, that that's not for everyone. Yeah. But you got to find some form of moving your body yes. that, that you're, is enjoyable for you, that yeah. feels good for you. If that's yoga, great. If that's um, playing tennis, great. If that's playing yeah. basketball, awesome. Mm-hmm. Hiking. Can, but you got to find something that you enjoy doing and pursue it mm-hmm. regularly. If it's not weight training, that's fine. I get that's not for everyone. Yeah. Uh, but riding a bike running. There's so many other activities out there that we can be doing to stimulate these endorphins yeah. and watch ourselves get better. Um, that's great. And, you know, I, I listened to this uh, Huberman podcast yeah. the other yeah. day, and uh, he was talking about a part of the brain that grows when you do stuff you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So things that are hard that you don't like doing, but you do them anyway, there's a part of your brain that grows. And that part of your brain that grows uh, is hugely effective on your mood, your confidence, and uh, plays into longevity. So I think that it's, I love weight training and there's other things that I don't like, Mm -hmm. but doing those things I don't like. And I think that's why the cold plunge is really another benefit of it. It's you're, you push yourself through suffering that you don't like. And there's a part of your brain that actually grows from that and gives you more neuroplasticity. So I think there's a lot of benefits with, uh, doing exercise because you like it, but then doing some stuff you don't like just to test like, like you did earlier with the the running and the the bike, the swimming. I'm thinking, man, that sounds terrible. But then I'm thinking, yeah. man, but how great would that feel to do something that's so terrible? Yeah, no, you know, the reward afterwards it. is yeah. just worth it. So, yeah, I th- no, I couldn't agree more. And like, I think having goals too. You know, like don't just be willy nilly like getting lost in the same routines mm-hmm. or or just like be aimlessly exercising. I think it's. Some, to have focus totally and to have goals um what what kind of guidance would you give a newcomer that's like just getting into their fitness journey um i would great question the biggest thing the most important thing i would say above anything is just be consistent Mm. let's just say if you joined a gym 
I don't care if you go in there and you do, I would suggest not going in there and doing a hard workout at all. Yeah. Make it easy. Go yeah. in there and just do a set of this and a little set of that and have a plan, right? You want to have some sort of plan, yeah. but enter that gym or your exercise program doing something really easy, but show yeah. up the next day and do a little bit more mm -hmm. and show up the next day and do a little bit more, even if it's one more rep or you stay for five extra minutes. Just the consistency of showing up is going to take you far greater than jumping in, wrecking yourself, being sore, yeah. than having this, this connection with fitness that's associated with misery and pain, pain <laughs> and suffering. And you're like, oh, I don't want to go through that again. Yeah. Just show up. Yeah. Once you walk through the doors and you start doing something, everything else will happen without your permission. Mm -hmm. But definitely have a goal. I mean, it's good to have a, a solid goal of like, what do I want to achieve? And what things should I do to start making steps towards that? Mm -hmm. And if you're like overweight or really out of shape, get, don't think you got to get on the treadmill and walk for an hour or 30 minutes. Just yeah. get on the treadmill and walk for seven minutes. Yeah. And then leave. And then the, tomorrow, try eight minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, and then try not, and if you can do that every day, you're going to look back six months from now and go, holy crap, look how far I came. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's what I would say is, is do something that that's enjoyable that, and be consistent with it. Yeah. Don't burn yourself out. Don't burn yourself out. Yes. Yeah. And you know, just go, you know, and go when you don't feel like it, you know, like have the discipline to show up when you don't want to. Perfect. So here's the, here's here. I relate it to this. I go to the gym every day and people ask me like, oh, how do you stay so motivated and so, you know, to, to go to the gym? And I, and I think that's such a weird question because it's like, what I want to ask is how do you stay motivated to brush your teeth every night? How do you stay so motivated? To you don't, yeah. you just do it, right? Yeah. You don't, it's just part of your routine. It's something that you've, it's ingrained in you. Mm -hmm. You've done it for so long. It's just a non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. it, it would take a lot for me to like not brush my teeth at night or take a shower. So that's what you want. You know, that's what I would hope that someone would try to make fitness part of yeah. their day that yeah. it's just it's it's something that you do that's non it's like you eat food because that's what you do mm -hmm. i work out because that's what i do i brush my teeth it's just a habit so a habit, yeah. in the beginning yeah you might have to go and do it when you don't feel like doing it but just show up and do it and don't overcommit yourself to doing something that's too hard in the yeah. beginning just show up just drive to the gym walk through the doors and just walk in yeah. and i bet you It'll it'll just go from there. Get yeah. on get on a machine, do a set. If you want to leave, fine. At least you had the habit of showing up. But usually, what happens is you do five minutes, and it you turns into ten. Flowing, you get yeah. you start feeling good. You keep going. Yeah, I think uh, having accountability partners is important too. Like having like go with friends or like you know have somebody. That's why a personal trainer is great because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know what the heck they're doing in the gym either. You know, like they're just they're. They don't know what all these machines are doing. Like they don't know how to focus on certain muscle groups and like what a good training regimen is totally. for them. So it's very important to like talk to somebody that knows what they're doing or go with somebody that knows what they're doing too. Yeah. So the you're you're right on. I mean that's a, that's a huge segment of people who are, are working with trainers or people who don't know what they're doing and they find like we did with recovery. We yeah. finally realized well I don't know how to stay clean so maybe I should seek someone who can help me with this. Yeah. Same thing with fitness, but even those who know what they know what they're doing still need accountability to do it because yeah. just because I know that I, one thing I'm bad about is stretching, right? It's something mm -hmm. I know I need to be doing. I need to be working on my mobility, but I don't do it. 
And, and I, I keep saying, I know how to do it and I know what to do and I make other people do it, but it's something that I slack on doing. Mm. So I would see benefit in hiring someone to make me do it. Mm. Even though I know it may know what to do, I don't do it. So having the accountability or the push to bring you to the next level yeah. is key, is huge. I mean, think of any professional athlete, name, name whoever you want. I mean, we could go... Uh, Michael Phelps, or I mean, maybe I'm going back with that one, right? But um, any any Tiger Woods, Evander Holyfield, any of these big names in in sports, they don't just work out on their own and then show up to yeah. training. They have a coach yeah. who makes them train harder than they would on their own. They have a team that holds them accountable to pushing themselves and not quitting when they feel like quitting. Mm. So that's uh, that's huge. Is is getting that accountability in the beginning? I would definitely suggest hiring a coach. Or if you have someone who knows what they're doing that's going to be consistent, it's just sometimes people, both two blind people will join the gym together and try to lead each other around blind, mm. and neither of them have even proven that they're committed. Yeah. So make sure that if, if you are going with a friend or someone that, you know, they understand your needs and your goals, and yeah. there's someone who's willing to be consistent with you. Yeah, and make it fun, you know? Like, totally. Try to enjoy your time there. Don't kill yourself and like do stuff you hate doing totally like, there's so many ways that's why, to, yeah. yeah it's sports are great you know like my mom does pickleball and she like gets her ass kicked you know, like drenched in sweat you know yeah. like having a great workout while she's doing something that she loves to do totally and that's what i was saying earlier like if if weight training isn't really something that you enjoy doing um that's fine there's so many things yeah. out there that feel good that are fun that mm -hmm. that are motivating I, I love pickleball actually yeah it's very fun yeah so what kind of, you know, things would you tell a newcomer in recovery? Like what are, what are some of the habits that you, what are some of your secrets for success in recovery? And what are some of the habits that you've developed that have, have allowed you to have some longevity and like good recovery, not just like time sober, but like a, living a life worth living? That's this is a, a really good question. So, um, I think I've I'll break I've kind of answered this over the course yeah. of this conversation. So if I'm going to condense all that and sum it up, I would I would say find and accept some sort or be open to a higher power. If yeah. you're not right, that, that's number one. Realize that if there's a god that you're not it, yeah. right? And it doesn't matter what that god is yet. Just realize that there's something that's bigger than you. Yeah. All right, and just at least believe that, that might be true. The second thing I would say is be grateful. Write down, in the beginning, I would write down at least five things that you're grateful for. Mm. Because when you wake up in the morning and you start your day off with realizing the good things about your life, that sets a trajectory for your day that's focused on positive. If you focus on negative things and you're bitching and complaining in the morning, that's just going to snowball into more bitching and complaining and looking at the negativity and things. Yeah. So write down the things you're grateful for even if you have a hard time finding them, find something, right? The fact that you have two legs to walk to the chow yeah. line in, right? Oh, I got to walk to chow. Okay, well, great. You have two legs. You get to walk there. You don't have to roll roll there. You have two lungs that are working, or maybe yeah. you don't. Maybe you only have one lung, but shit, you're still breathing, right? Yep. Be grateful for that. Um, be grateful for the fact that you have another day to make the choice to stay clean or not, and other people have lost that choice. So there's so many things to be grateful for. So find some things that you're going to be grateful for. Find a higher power and just focus on today mm -hmm. and doing the best you can today. Yeah. Because when you start future tripping about the next day and the day, and it's hard not to do, 
But just today, what's my goal today? What are the things I want to do today? And whatever that is, I'm just going to do my best at that. We'll worry about, don't worry about tomorrow. So those would be the three things I say is higher power, gratitude, like I said earlier, and do the best you can today. Best foot, foot forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Anything you'd add to that? I would say trust the process, you know, like give this thing a shot, you know, like really get out of your own way and, and, uh, ask somebody to help you, you know, and like really just give it the, give it your best shot, like Mm -hmm. give it six months to a year and really give it a best, give it your best shot and, and see where it gets you, you know, like work, work all 12 steps to the best of your ability, honest, open-minded and willing uh, cultivate that relationship with your higher power, mm-hmm. allow him to work in your life, you know, and, and see where it gets you, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can always go back to the streets. Like totally. they're not going anywhere, no. you know, but when you, you will have a spiritual awakening as a result of working these steps and you'll never want to go back. Yeah. Like once you get some of that peace and serenity, you never want to give it up. You just want to give it to other people. Totally. So you know well what I mean? So and well and that's how we do it. We do it by helping other people yeah. get to the same place. So, you know, just to add on to what you said, you know, like the physical exercise, you mm-hmm. know, uh, having a healthy, like, diet, making sure you're sleeping, pay attention to the things that you're reading and listening to. Totally. And, uh, you know, c- try to cut out negative relationships. Absolutely. Toxic people in your life. Like, that's part of the willingness is like, you got to be willing to make some hard decisions. Well, yeah, changing and, everything, right? And, and it's not all easy. It's not easy, especially cutting people out of your life. Like, these toxic people, family members. And I want to, you just actually made a good point about the the diet and the, the uh, keeping, paying attention to your health. Yeah. And I see this happen with a lot of people. And I think that, traditionally the women tend to struggle with this more because they seem to be more like um, focused on their weight Mm -hmm. more than guys, but guys are too. We we are too. But when they get clean and they start, they they change one addiction for another and now food becomes the addiction and they ramp up all this weight. They, they get to the point where I know a lot of people who are less healthy now clean than they were when they were, Loaded. They were actually probably in better health than they are now. So we have to be careful not to change one addiction for another and let ourselves get so unhealthy. And then when you see yourself ballooning up in weight and you get uncomfortable, then you look at the solution, which is let's go back to the old life, right? So if you can have, it's just so important to, to not use the crutch of, oh, I need to lose weight. And I've seen so many people, and I say women, because I, in my experience, it seems to be a lot more women who will gain weight in recovery and then go back out because they're not comfortable gaining that weight. So I, I do yeah. think it's, uh, you got to give yourself some grace in the beginning and really just yeah. focus on staying clean. But yeah. there's got to be a point in which we start to say, okay, I'm going to take control over my health yeah. overall, not just quit using drugs, yeah. but what other ways can I nourish myself for longevity so I can continue to be around to help more people. Yeah. And like continually progress, you know, like always try to better yourself and better your situation and whatever, you know, your ambitions are in Mm -hmm. life, you know, like 
pro- having progress towards those things, you know, progress towards a worthy ambition, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, it's like the definition of success for totally. me, you know, so whatever that is for you. And uh, just make sure that you're, you know, always striving and trying to be better and trying to, you know, be of service and help other people. And for me, getting outside of myself has been still to this day is like the number one thing. Like, it's how I find purpose in my life. It's, you know, how I find meaning in my life, how I find meaning in my past. And it gives me it gives me purpose and it's a way for me to get outside of myself, you know, Mm -hmm. and it feels good to help other people. And there's nothing more powerful than helping another drug addict to find recovery. Like you see that light come on in their eyes. They start to get stuff back They're You know, they get relationships. They feel good about themselves. And like, there's, there's just nothing more powerful there. That's God, you know, working in their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the biggest blessing in recovery and it's you know one of the bigger blessings of my life today yeah and i think it's great that uh in in, in my job with personal training at the gym i get uh the ability to work with yeah. so many addicts in recovery that that through referrals come through and, and talk with me and i'm able to help get them on a path of like feeling confident about themselves and and then having someone to relate to and realize look it's all right like i i totally understand where you're coming from and then yeah. we can you know i can drop some little uh higher power bombs in there, you know, and sneak them in, you know, shouldn't try not to overpower anyone with a God at work, but you know, sometimes it's good to ask some questions and get them thinking. So, yeah. And it's more about like being the example too. exactly. Like people, you want people to ask you like, what are you doing? You know, that's like gotten you to this point and then you hit them with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, Brad, I'm so glad you came out today. I had a good time at the gym yeah, and, and dinner great. and everything, and uh, definitely do it again in the future. Appreciate it, man. All right, brother. Yeah. Victorious, we became, but never forgot where we came from. Life or death, not a game. We came to change the lane. Recovery addicts. That's the name, give yourself a break, just one day at a time, you were born to shine, so live and let love be forever, my sister, my brother, don't give in, please remember, the lie is dead, we do recover, welcome home.